Welcome to episode 173 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And on today's show, I'm kind of mad because Plugio's been down for the last seven hours, and Rackspace have uh, basically screwed things up. Well, so what's the problem? Well, they do this, my, they, they do a thing where they migrate the server um, from, I guess, one backend cluster to another backend cluster. And they've done it a few times in the past, and it's never been more than, I don't know, a minute's downtime. Right. Uh, but they've done it this time, and it's been down for seven hours at this stage. And I've called, you know, I've been on the phone to them five times, and each time um, I speak to them, they say, "Okay, we're we're escalating it to the next guy." And right. It's like, okay, come on. And so you, so you've gone down seven hours, and you mentioned something to me um, earlier when we we're uh, offline about how you didn't have a backup, offsite backup of the data. Well, so the Rackspace Cloud Server solution they do a weekly um, and a daily backup of your entire server, which makes you feel kind of safe. Um, but what I've realized today is that, you know, in this scenario, the, the, I guess I just need full redundancy. I, I need to have another server temporary, you know, for, for such, a, such a circumstance. Although this has never happened in, you know, in the entire two years. Yeah, well... I, that's something you call it, or I think it's generally referred to as normalcy bias. Yeah, <laughs> it's just because it's never happened doesn't mean it can't happen, right. or isn't, um, or, or there that there isn't a reasonable probability of it happening. It's just like the it's like the the cartoon where have the guy falling off, falling off the side of a building and he's halfway down. He's like, ah, so far so good. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, I think I think one potentially easy solution would be just to, you know, um, get a S three set up an S three account. And then just start firing in data into S3 as a, as a backup, as like a redundant backup in real time. I mean, I think we've talked to several different people, I have Stripe being one of them, who use S3 as, as a kind of um, backup, real-time backup, right? Well, so there's the difference between being just, just backing up the database, which I, you know, is obviously kind of good to do, um, but also having like a fallover, like a live fallover. Right. So. Oh right. All oh, right. Okay. So so not 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 just for database backup, but a, but a, yeah. Right. Okay. So a a failover server. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I I guess that's that failover server could be on Rackspace Cloud itself. I mean, even if there was another instance that I could have fallen over to, that would be good. The issue is, is because I've got everything going on one server, all of the queued tweets are on that one server as well. So if I was to spin up some other server, then people would start scheduling stuff on this new server, which I could have potentially done during the last time. Um, well, you know, it seems to me that a really good solution um, would be to have a server at a completely different facility, yeah. a different host, and, and potentially at a different part of the country. I mean, not that Plugio is a mission-critical application. Yeah. That, that's a huge concern. But... Um, you know, I'll give you an example. So I think this happened with Uber about, I think when I was up there, I was actually out at lunch. I was, so I was out at lunch with the guys from Kaggle. So I missed this, but essentially what happened is a, a, I think a router went down at the hosting facility 
So I can't remember what host they're at, but they're at a pretty um, a, a pretty uh, industrial scale hosting yeah. uh, provider, and the router died, and so all of the dispatch servers dot went down too. Every 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 dispatch for every city in the country. I mean, in the world. Paris, D.C., Boston, Seattle, Chicago, New York, whatever. Toronto, gone. So, and it was off for an hour until they had a workaround. And then when they finally got the workaround up, the, uh, you know, I guess someone at the facility was able to replace the router. Now, in their case, I think going forward, the plan is to have, you know, uh, hosted servers at, at another hosting facility. So, let's say they're in, in, in L.A. somewhere, or, or there maybe I think it's San Francisco somewhere, the second one should be maybe in, uh, on the East Coast. Now, Plugio isn't as big a going concern as Uber, but, and you don't have the same kind of resources um, as Uber has, but if you had at least at a different provider, and, 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 and maybe you can, can check and see, well, well, just in case some weird thing happens with the grid in a certain you know, city, because it could easily happen that both of your, your service providers are like in the same hosting facility, mm-hmm. that they're, 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 that they're uh, leasing space at a hosting facility. So there's a problem with that hosting facility, and, and both your primary and secondary go down. Yeah, I mean, once again, I mean, because Plugio is only earning... It's great that it's earning three and a half thousand a month, but that's not massive, massive money. So you're right. So the resources are kind of constrained, but it's embarrassing to have it down for seven hours. You know, I just, and it's, it's not really my fault. You know, it's rack, rack space have just screwed up this well, migration, it's, but it's, I mean, it is your fault in the sense that you're not planning, right? You're not planning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's your fault, but I mean, it's like how big of a problem is it or how angry can people get at you? I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of gray, but yeah, it's ultimately if, if 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 this was mission critical, you know you you would have you would have had a failover. You would have had at least one failover at a completely different place, and et cetera, et cetera. So, I think I think this is a kind of a probably a good lesson that that things like this can and will happen. Mm-hmm. And if you have a kind of a service where it's really unacceptable for that to happen, I think for Plugio for that to happen on a on a random Sunday, eh, you know, I don't think anyone's gonna flip out or have too big of a problem with it but you know when we think about any foo you know once you get to a certain size i mean for it to go down uh well, let's say the middle of a day and a weekday for like half a day because rackspace had a problem and that would just not be good well us. that's the other thing it's it's doubly compounded because it's a sunday so they've barely got anyone working in there right <laughs> right so right. that adds that, that adds to the to the, the reason why it's taken so long for them to get it fixed but yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Th- I think any foo, and I think Plugio as well. Moving forward, I should implement that. You know, basically a fully, fully redundant system that can flip over to some other server somewhere else in the world that will, I guess, have to mirror the database somehow and have to pull it in live. Well, I mean, I you know I've never really done this before, but I mean, logically, I mean, I don't think it's to be that hard. I mean, you could, you could write, you could do a duplicate write every time you send something to your database. You could do a write to some S, an S3 uh, instance. Yeah. Right, you could just do that. So you always have a real-time updated service. It's just a sort of a write repository. Um, that then if you came up live and another, you, you launched another server and another facility came up, you know, 30 seconds later, it could just read and reinstantiate from the last stuff that was written to that S3 instance. I was actually thinking rather than writing live, possibly a more um, optimized way to do it would be to write every query into a query log and then once every minute, Pull or once every five minutes, pull that query log over and run that. See what I'm saying? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. A, I'm not an expert at like what's the most optimal way to do something like that. I mean, it might be the kind of thing you have to experiment with because I'm not. I'm not sure. Well, the reason why maybe, I'm, maybe, the reason why I say that is because if if we're basically pinging that external server, then you've got to set up. You know, your your web instance has to set up a database connection across the world and then set you know do that database call. Whereas if you're just writing it to a text file, then I think you, the server across the world can pull that over and then just run them locally. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, maybe that is better because if you had an, a, a temporary um, problem c- c- reaching your S3 server, I mean, you, you, just have a, you just have a retry, you know, every 10 seconds. Right. If it, it's like it's normally supposed to go off every minute, and if it fails, you know, or whatever, maybe it doesn't. If it goes every minute and it fails for 10 minutes in a row, it's still no big deal. It'll keep trying, you know, and eventually it'll get it over there. And it's not like yeah. you're taking in, it's not like it's just a massive amount of information. So, you know, whether it's 100K or 10 megabytes. I think it'd it be fine get, to have like a, mi- a minute's worth of lags in the queries. I think that's, that'd be fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, oh, oh in terms of uh, if if your server went down, and worst case, you'd have a minute worth yeah. of uh, data not saved. Yeah, I think so. I think that would be acceptable. Yeah, I, especially for Plugio. And yeah. see, like for any foo, just thinking in terms of just projecting forward, like what we would need to do for any foo. So, any foo may not be that may not be such a problem if it was down because there's no if if you can't get to the system. I mean, the worst thing that happens is, I guess, someone tried to schedule a session one way or the other. Either the, a client tries to request a session or the, or the expert tries to schedule a session and the other person doesn't get it. Uh, like, it, it, like, if that didn't happen, they wouldn't know. So in some sense, yeah, because it could leave, in some sense, it is important that we, if, some, if a new version came up, that that other, that it, it got the last minute of data because you could end up having like a half dozen people who who performed an operation and they never heard back from the other side and they're like, what the hell's going yeah. on? But I don't know. That's that's a little bit down the road. I don't think we have to worry about that right now. Yeah. First things first, you know. <laughs> Let's get it first launched. Thing, get a service launched that somebody in the world cares about. Then you can worry about keeping it up. Yeah. Well, so we've had our first, uh, we're talking about anything, we've had our first real session scheduled now, haven't we? We have. Well, you know, part of the reason that we didn't uh, do the show last weekend, which I, I'm regretting now. I, first of all, I want to say that I really don't want to skip our discussion shows anymore because I have like a buildup of, of things I want to talk about in my brain. <laughs> and it starts overflowing. <laughs> I get this backlog. Yeah. So I hate it. And then, of course, you know, we had uh, some commenters on the, on the site going, come on, guys. You know, what's, <laughs> where are you? What's going on? A, we had A and B listener. Yeah, that was, that's funny. If anyone hasn't seen that, check out the blog. Uh, on one, on episode one seven two, A and B listen having conversations to themselves about the fact that we weren't <laughs> we we haven't released the show. So and the reason the reason for it um, was that well we had done a show on Friday uh, uh, we had did the interview I think on Friday yeah. before the weekends and so we kind of felt like well we just did a show so maybe it's not super important that we do a show. And uh, oh, actually, no. That was we went a whole other week. No, it was two weeks since we've done a discussion show, yeah, right? Because yeah. we didn't do one that weekend. And then the following weekend, the idea was we were going to do it on a Sunday evening. But I felt so frustrated that we hadn't launched or hadn't made any visible progress that it just it was just too painful to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was just I just didn't want to say it again. I was because I kept I kept feeling like that we were like. Four hours away, didn't it? Well, it did. I mean, I, when we started the project, we thought it would only take two weeks. 
<laughs> well, that's why I am never giving a time estimate about any food going forward ever. I don't care how how much you try and push me. I'm not giving you a I'm not giving you a uh, a time estimate because I clearly have no ability to estimate how long anything's going to take. But that's so that's that's that was the delay. I was just too frustrated, and I just wanted to work on any food and just uh, and then we kept well we'll work on it on Sunday. Maybe we'll just do a show on Monday, and then it still wasn't there. I was like, well, let's just try and do it Tuesday, and let's just try and do it Wednesday, and then it got to Thursday. I was like, well, screw it. <laughs> So we where we are with any food, I guess, is we have the profile, the, the register thing working correctly. And we've for experts. The experts. So experts can come and register and create their profiles. And that's gone through, I don't know, like three, four, five iterations. Um, especially the kind of widget where you're entering in your expertises and your highlights. And we also have I guess the bare bones of the of the scheduling the session stuff working. Do we have the payment stuff working yet? Yeah, yeah. So the payment stuff is what I'm working on right now, and it's it's not so much that there's a lot to do on it. It's just sort of like validate, doing validations and getting everything just kind of finished up, getting the, the proper emails sent when actions occur. Um, so yeah, but we what we did get done was the ability for a client to come and you know they click on a they they go if they're viewing. If they, if they have a link to the expert's profile and they bring it up in the browser and they can say, and they, they can hit the schedule a session button yeah. and that will bring up like a little pop-up that says, hey, either sign in or register if you don't have an account. So they can just register, you know, enter their five or six fields or whatever it is. They got an account and then they can go in and say, write a little description. I need help, you know, with this, blah, blah, blah. And then they can select one or more times that they would be available to do the session. Yeah. Right. And they go to confirm page, and then it just sends off the request to the. Um, it, it it creates the database record, then sends an email to the expert. So the expert gets an email, and says, "Hey, so and so wants to do a session with you." And then the expert clicks on the link, looks at the um, his ability to look at the, rec- the 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 description of what the what the client needs help with, along with the specified availability of the client. And then they can either a just select a time, like yeah, okay, I can do it Tuesday at four. Or I can't do it any of your times that you've listed, but I hear some other optional times. And that gets bounced back to the client. The client can either can then say, okay, I can accept or reject those times. I can't do it. And uh, so once that happens, once, once the sort of that bounce back or whatever, once it all occurs, the expert and client will finally get an email. So, okay, a session has been scheduled at, you know, three o'clock on Tuesday. And uh, we're there. That's where we are. That's where we are. And of course, as soon as that went live, we, we did a test with me. We, we set my profile to $1. <laughs> $1 you're, for an you're, hour. You're, you're, you're a $1 whore. <laughs> thanks. Very kind of you. So, um, so we set my profile to $1 and tested it out. And of course, as soon as that's live, Jeff, Jeff Welpley, uh, for some reason, went on my profile and saw that I was only a dollar an hour. So as a joke, scheduled a session with me. And um, that was funny. And uh, he said he was looking for ten thousand hours at that yeah, price. Like- <laughs> going to schedule for the next two years, yeah. right? So, uh, so I responded to that, and I noticed um, that in in the response, there was kind of no way for me to to say I, I wanted to change the time just as a test because I thought, okay, this you know might as well take advantage of this as a test. And I wanted to change the time, but then I wanted to say something about my reasonings for changing the time. So. Um, realized that I couldn't do that and sent you an email about it. And then you replied to me and I thought, that's such a rude response. How rude in the way that you replied to me. And I showed it to my wife and I said, is Jason being rude to me? And she said, no, not in the slightest. And then what I realized is that, that is the difference between Americans and English. 
when when we talk in in email like the english are very apologetic like you, you, i mean you were just basically saying no, no i don't think that's a good idea blah, blah 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 right but english will read into that and think no <laughs> you know like like as if you're being rude but you totally weren't and i've realized that i've been th- you know in all of our email discussion i've just thought you were really rude but the, but the truth is you're just american you're not rude at all that's right. I'm just American. Don't <laughs> don't blame it on my rudeness. Blame it on my American. So what? So so it's just like I guess American are just Americans are just very matter of fact in their email discussion. It's just they don't bother with any kind of um, the niceties. Yeah, you don't. Bother. There's not as much of the, of the niceties. I mean, occasionally throw in the uh, explanation point. Thanks, man, or a little smiley face. But you know, when I'm going back with you, I mean, I'm not gonna put in the, the smiley face well, you know you and I are back and forth all day it's like it should be applied we're friends yeah. i could just say no this isn't going to work for blo- this this and this reason right it's not that you know it should be construed a certain way i mean you know we're, we're on the phone but i'll always know. be like oh thank thanks a lot for saying that but the, you know it may be an interesting point but you should consider this other possibility you're <laughs> like no <laughs> <laughs> Well, so so here let, let, let's be a little specific because I think it'd be kind of interesting. So you 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 obviously made your case that oh I wanted to be able to have a little text box so I could maybe put a little context for some why I couldn't do a session at the times you requested and here in the other times. Right. And I was like, okay, I understand why you want to do that, but that's going to lead to problems because the whole reason that we're structuring this communication back and forth is not just freeform text boxes is because. Clients and experts are oftentimes not going to be in the time zone, same time zone. In fact, they're usually not. And people tend to really screw up time zones. So if I'm in the East Coast, you're in the West Coast, or you're in England and I'm in Australia or whatever, I mean, you're going to say, oh, I could do it at 3 o'clock. I'm like, well, wait, is that my time or your time? Okay, so 3 o'clock is, oh, so you're six hours ahead, so 3 o'clock is 9 o'clock. Oh, wait a minute. No, 3 o'clock's the other 9 o'clock. You know, you have all these kind of miscommunications, and it's like, if you say, "Oh yeah, I could do it at two two p.m., but I can't do it at uh, but I can I can't do it at two p.m., but I can do it at seven. and I'm like, "Okay, seven. Do you say seven p.m. or is that seven Eastern?" Time? Yeah, but so, so I wasn't expecting them to put something like that. But but it's, it's a good point. They could put something like that. That wasn't what I was. Oh, and if they can, they will. So they're yeah. you, you select a bunch of times, and what they're going to end up doing is describing those times, and they're oftentimes going to forget to put their time zone, and it's just going to get lost. So the only thing that's worse than like say more information. You know, or, or what's well, the only thing that's worse than having uh, less information is having more information that's either wrong, incomplete, or misleading. It's just going to just cause all kinds of problems. There's nothing's going to piss the clients and the experts off than when they get miscommunication about when the, when the session was supposed to begin. They set aside a bunch of time and the person doesn't show up. Well, because even with the first session, that was scheduled between a guy in America and a guy in Australia. And so the guy in Australia, it's 7 a.m. that he's doing it. And the guy in America, it's happening. At, I'm not sure. I don't know. No, 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 no. It's, it's East Coast. It's Boston and Arizona. Wasn't was it? Yeah, Don is in, Don is in Arizona. So, But didn't we have a session scheduled for someone in Australia? No. Okay, fair enough. All right, I mis- misread that. But even so, it was still different time zones. So, I, so you're right. So as if one person had a text box and they, should, they, they selected three times, like, oh, and they said, yeah, I, but the best time for me out of those three is the four o'clock. Then the other guy is going to go four o'clock, huh? I don't see four o'clock on my scheduler because it's showing it in their time zone. Hey, I'm like fine for it, but as long as you promise to be customer support for any and all time confusions. <laughs> well, no. I mean, everyone is going to go straight to you. If you want to disambiguate those and deal with the only resulting fallout, be my guest. No, the, the, the main <laughs> point was just just 
some some kind of drop down or bullet point reason why I, if, if if you if you are my client and you propose three different times and I'm like I really can't do any of those but I'm going to suggest this other one. I just think that we should have some kind of bullet drop down to say I can't do you know I'm really busy or something. I'm not sure what those what those reasons are. I have conflict, other work, yeah, exactly. or, you know yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm unavailable at the sorry. Yeah. I apologize. I'm, I'm unavailable at those times or something. I mean, just I, not to be just not to be <laughs> an, an email that all you get back is no. <laughs> but I'll well, do this. I, well, I was actually thinking that what we could do is we just, it's just about the messaging in the email. If you say, unfortunately, yeah. you know, Don is unable to, to, you know, work with you at the time specified. However, he has provided three times that he is yeah, available. Yeah. You know, I mean, say it in such a way where, yeah. I mean, because really, I mean, the expert may or may not want to explain why. You know, it's like, it's like, hey, oh. My favorite TV show is on at that time. Sorry. You know, I mean, that's a valid reason, but that might be well, the that wouldn't really... be in a drop down. Well, actually, it'd be kind of funny. We should have that in a drop down, right? <laughs> My favorite TV show. <laughs> I got a blind date. Sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. So um, anyway, well, we anyway, got... the main point I just want to bring is I, I th- I've been thinking how rude you've been in our emails for the last few years, but actually it's not that. It's just that you're American. So that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> oh, I appreciate the fact. So you've been resenting my rudeness. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so let's, um, I, I want to just talk to a, just a couple of pieces of, inf- of interesting feedback uh, on any phone between, from Don and Jeff. So well, one thing that's interesting is, so the, our first two, uh, our first client, our first expert, our first client is Jeff Welpley. And Jeff is actually a friend of mine. He played on my uh, soccer team mm-hmm. for, I don't know, probably three years or something like that. When He's since moved back to Boston, but um, yeah, so I, I've known him for a while and I knew he was a programmer and he worked at consulting firms and stuff like that. And more recently he took a job as a CTO at a company called Mesh, I think it's Mesh 01 back in Boston. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, I'm not sure for how long, but at some point he became a, a texting listener. And so he's been kind of following along with any foo. And at some point he sent an email to me and said like, you know, I, I'd be up for, for, uh, using it, testing it out for you. Um, and Don is also a, a, a texting listener, and he's been a really big supporter of the idea from the start. Like he sent a number of emails, sort of encouraging us and just and actually just pushing us. Like, when are you guys going to be available? Because a, I need to hire someone, you know, through it, and b, I'd like to list myself. Yeah. So it's actually really, um, it's really worked out that 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 those two became like our first sort of love connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the AnyFood dating service. <laughs> it is. It's like make your make your technology love connection. You know, because because we're comfortable with them and we can communicate with them and like I've had I've had phone conversations. I've had at least two phone conversations with I think each of them since they tried to, you know, or or, or, or about any foo, at least in the last couple of weeks. So you know, we've got, you know, I, I was able to talk to Don and, and I, I, we talked, we both talked to him on the phone about creating his profile and things we, you know, just basically how the service is going to work and be able to answer some of his questions. And then after the session was set up, he emailed us back some descriptive feedback, but I still wanted to talk to him and say, hey, can I ask you a few more questions? And then same thing with Jeff. Jeff has sent us at least a couple emails saying, I'm confused about this. This was cool, but this was less, inter- less you know, wasn't so helpful. And then I was able to talk to him. And that stuff has been incredibly useful. So what, what's the interesting feedback that you've got? 
So, well, there's just some little things like, um, you know, Jeff was like, okay, he set up this, he said he scheduled the session and they went to the conf- confirmation page and he wanted to go back, but then it lost the settings on the schedule. Right. It didn't do a good job. And he's like, yeah, that, that kind of sucked. He, he, he complained that, um, in a more recent email about how he put, he always has to log in cause there, cause I guess the sessions only last like two hours or four hours. We, we got to reset this, this PHP session length mm-hmm. to be like. 48 hours at least or something or 72 hours I mean, but, and but that's not really how you do it typically is it all right to go off on that tangent yeah well let me just okay. well, let's get back to that yeah okay well i'll just say i'll just that was funny because he's like yeah, every time i log in it doesn't remember my session which is has nothing to do with the session thing it has to do with the cookie but i haven't implemented that tech functionality yeah <laughs> so it says remember me but it doesn't really remember anything so it's kind of cracking up when he said that i'm like yeah actually that's not really working yet so go on. Well, you, you don't really want to set your PHP sessions to be longer than an hour because then you're you're accumulating a very large pool of active PHP sessions. The better scenario is is to keep your PHP sessions to like 15 minutes or whatever. And then whenever they touch the server, you know, whenever there's a request, it's going to extend that by 15 minutes. And then okay. for the, the remember me functionality, so basically if they come back again tomorrow, you set a cookie on their system. Um, that cookie has their user ID along with a secret, so which, which basically you update every time. So on, on their system, each t- if they come back tomorrow, it's going to have the right secret and it's going to have the right user ID. And then that secret hooks into the system and then the system automatically reestablishes a session. And then from that point forward, every time they touch the server, it's an extra 15 minutes. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Well, then we need to do that. Um, so that, that's, but that was actually, I guess, a smaller thing. Um, the other thing was we weren't, in the emails, we weren't um, giving the clients and experts the contact information for their counterparty. Oh, yeah. Or at least, actually, I, I gave the Skype and phone number, uh, the Skype ID and phone number to the client because they're the one who's supposed to initiate the call. But I didn't give it to the expert. So the expert has no way of calling them or getting in touch with them. And I didn't send them the respective emails. Yeah. And both of them wanted, they're like, you know, um, Don was like, well, I'd like to just sort of send him an email and just to ask about, you know, does he want to use TeamViewer or whatever, Skype, it just, just sort of like a really simple short email. And, and Jeff had sent an email this morning saying, well, I, I, I need to be able to send him a document and I'd like to at least have a couple minutes to review it before our, you know, our session starts and there's no way to do now, that. Now, if you look at other systems such as Elance and Odesk, all that stuff is dealt with through a message board within, within each kind of work session, as it were. So basically they don't, well, they, they do allow you to write email addresses, but they basically promote that you work through Elance so that there's a log of everything that was said on that message. Yeah, see, but we're not really like them, right? Because see, here's the, here's, the, here's the big, big difference between Elance and Odesk. Elance and Odesk is attempting to sort of put a, almost like a, a, a shield behind which all of their workers exist because they want you to go through them. They don't want you to hire those people out and all this kind of stuff. Well, we're not really trying to do that because our experts oftentimes are very well-known people and you can contact them, right? They're public faces. Um, you know, they have, they have 50,000 Twitter followers or whatever. So they have their own, you know, blog. So, and we're not really, I think getting in between them and trying to play intermediary in that way might be a mistake. I think all we want to do is structure the communication such as a way to prevent miscommunication. But then once that connection is set up, they can kind of email each other back and forth and do whatever they want. But what about know? future work sessions? Like how many work sessions 
do you want uh, them to use any foo and then how and then at what point do you want them to move away from any foo and just do it between themselves and um, because basically in terms of us capturing some kind of value and money no i think that's an absolute mistake you've mentioned that before about this idea of like this buyout clause because that's what elance and odes does and i think Almost it, most experts, if they register on the site and they said, oh, well, if a client works with you for a few hours here and there, but then they decide they want to hire a contract, you have to pay us like 1500 bucks. I think it was the number you threw at me that Elance or Odessa does. I think, the, the, I think almost any experts look at us and just give us the finger and say, screw you guys, man. That's ridiculous. I mean, I just think it's absolutely, yeah, they, they would just like, there's no way. I, I actually just jokingly threw that out at a friend of mine who, uh, who's on the site uh, to Michael Hartle, who's a... Ruby on Rails. He's got a Rails tutorial. And he just kind of looked at me like I was an idiot. You know? Okay. Well, what do you He's like, no way. No, but, but what I'm what I'm I, what I'm curious about that 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 is another discussion. But what I'm curious about is in terms of when people when when we connect two people via any food, they do two hours together, right? So they work for two hours, but now they're in permanent communication, right? So they they've got each other's email addresses. They've just done two hours uh, for a couple of hundred dollars or whatever. A- are you then? perfectly happy for them to move away and just work between themselves and and not go through any food or do you want to try absolutely if, if, if see here's the thing i mean we only should be profiting off something where we're creating value and we're creating value when people do a series of smaller sessions through when signing an nda signing um get, you know getting the paperwork done hiring someone for short periods of time get their w9 information you know um getting paid so for the client why are we good? We're good because they don't have to do the W9 and the, and the NDA and, um, and IP stuff is all taken care of, right? Yeah. And the person is there. It's easy to contact and communicate with them. They don't have to go find them. For the, for the expert, it's, it's good because they're going to get paid right away. They don't have to, they don't have to um, send an invoice. They don't have to go and sign a bunch of these contracts and read through them every time or whatever. And they could just they could just send an invoice. They don't have to create an invoice. They just when the session's over, they just click, you know, 3.5 hours, you know, a sentence or two, this is what we did, submit it, and then, you know, hopefully the client will pay it within a day or two and it just ACH directly to their bank account. Done. Right? So as soon as people move away from that, they're like, well, hey, you know, it's been fun working with you, helped us out a lot, but we have this bigger project we want you to work with us on, then that's, you know, that's between them. We can't get in front of them, we can't get in between them. And if you try, you're just being you know, I think that's not reasonable. So you you can you shouldn't try and help people to do three sessions via AnyFoo versus one. Well, no, they're still going to want to. Here's the thing. I mean, I think I think the way AnyFoo is most likely going to work is is people are going to hire people for sh- hire experts for sh- you know short sessions. They're going to call it because they're not building a project for them. Right, they're not. It's not deliverables. It's not project based. It's it's advice. It's maybe troubleshooting a hard problem. It's you know strategy analysis, whatever. You know, it's just the high. It's the higher level stuff, because they're too expensive for the project based stuff. And experts are going to like any food for that because they can charge more than they can do for long. They'd rather work with three clients and charge two or three times the rate than, than work with one client and 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 on a longer term rate, and then have the overhead of like, well, I have all this deliverable now as opposed to just talking on the phone and and telling what I think of stuff, right? So clients, just because you work with them once, aren't going aren't gonna to necessarily gonna immediately say, oh, we'll do three sessions. They're going to complete the session, the expert's going to submit the invoice, and it's done, and then maybe a week or a month or two months later, the client come back and say, oh, we got some more questions for you, can you help us out again? Okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, but one thing is, I mean, don't you think that system would be very open to being gamed by, you know, big companies looking for for new talent to join their their workforce. Okay, well first of all, fine. 
fine. If you want to go and hire some guy for two or three hundred dollars an hour to help you, because, you know, because he's an expert in X, Y, or Z, and then at later point you want to say, hey, we'd like to hire. That's fine. You know, that's it. But the reality is, is most of the ex- experts are probably <laughs> okay. Uh, already, okay, hold. They're already working at a bigger company. Okay, look when when a recruitment agency goes and finds someone to work for a company, they basically are being paid. I don't know, anywhere between five and 15,000 to hire that, that person, right? That's how much money they make. So what's to stop IBM or Apple or one of these other companies, the, the recruitment department, basically going through AnyFoo, contacting each person for the, for the low cost of $100 or $200, having, you know, having an hour-long interview with them and trying to get them to work for that company. Because well, then, then do it. Then do it. Fine. Okay. But that's not going to be the general case. You can't capture all val- every single extract every penny from any potential transaction that occurs in your neighborhood. You just have to capture value where you're delivering some value. You know, you're capturing some profit where you're delivering value. And I think there will be cases where someone will hire someone or someone will do it. You know, but that, that's fine. You know, I mean, you, you can't enforce all that stuff unless you want to get in some situation where you're suing a bunch of people. Yeah, which sounds like a really crappy business to be in, then I, I wouldn't, don't even, don't even pretend to go down that route. Cause it's just, it's not, I don't think it's a world you want to live in. I don't know. I still have some questions about it. It just seems, it just seems weird introducing people and then they actually end up working for them full time. And then we don't get anything out of that. That just seems weird, but that's, you know, I'd be, I've interested to see what listeners think um, about that. You know, that's all. Well, see, here's the thing. I mean, the way this is going to start initially is these ex- these experts. I mean, for, you got to remember these are experts. These people are usually very highly paid. They usually have a pick and they can pick and choose of what they do and spend time on. Mm-hmm. Right? These aren't people who are who are dying for a job. Okay? They already have. They're usually a big. They're they're probably a big shot or wherever they are. Whether they're a, whether they're a freelancer or whether they work at you know Google or Twitter or something. You know, so they're not looking for something. I know, but they're like, exactly the kind of people who large head hedge hunters, headhunters approach. So that's you know that there's there's a whole industry about headhunters who go and get exactly the kind of people that are going to be on. Okay, anything. well, for, number one, like I said, so what? And two, just because they you know should, should, so if someone found someone on Twitter, should they pay Twitter because hey, I found this guy on Twitter? <laughs> you know, no, 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 or, hey, no, you know, and, no. It's silly. And, and, but second but of all, it's very different to anything because anything well, is actually a, you know, a consultancy service where you're hiring that person to work for you. But anyway. Yeah. But, but second of all, I mean, the, um, the thing is that, um, if, if they're already, if, if, if they're already in a position where they're probably, most of these experts are probably going to be in a pretty good position. Right. right. So they're probably not necessarily looking like des- most, most of the time recruiters call and they're probably like, no, thanks. But the other thing is that, um, if if Anifu is really if if this thing works and let's go this project two years down two to three years down the road where you actually it actually is working to the point where you're worried about losing some significant amount of revenue to something like that. The reality is if an expert's getting a lot of work off Anifu, they're probably gonna be making a lot more money through Anifu than they are than they could as a regular job because they can charge so much per hour. Right, right. That's true. And we're gonna be like, hey, so you wanna hire me for two hundred grand a year? Well, as it turns out, I bill at two fifty to three hundred bucks an hour. I can work a half to make twice that much and work half as many hours, so no thanks. I mean, you usually the the fears about lock in and things like that are usually wrong, right? So <clears throat> I mean, history kind of shows us that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you're dealing with the most the most technically sophisticated group of people. Yeah, 
They're going to spot that a mile away and be like, uh, no way, assholes. I'm not signing that. I'm not doing that. No way. Forget it. There's just no way. That's weird. So I, so I, wonder, how, I wonder how Elon's no desk get away with that. Because basically... Well, because you have, you have a bunch of desperate people in third world or very or second world or third world countries who are making pennies on the dollar and don't have a whole lot of options. Uh, just just to, to, to kind of clarify what that is uh, for listeners, is that when I was looking through the legal terms and conditions of e- Elance and Odesk, basically they have a buyout clause that if, if you want to work with someone outside of those platforms that you're introduced to via those platforms, you can, but you have to pay a certain amount of money. And I think it's, it averages at around $1,500 to basically buy out some that to basically to buy out the agreement and the contract that's been made between people and and the argument we're having is jason saying that's just ridiculous we shouldn't even consider that yeah because okay let's let's just just to just to give one more example so if 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 you're if you're a programmer living in the philippines okay and you're charging seven bucks an hour okay you didn't you would not have been able to find that work that client work any other way right and that's why you're on Elance or Odesk. I mean, now, and and a and I could see it's easy for Elance or Odesk to kind of put that wall up and then force the the people, the contractors, to sign it because it's like, well, if you want to work, this is how it's going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it. But we're on the other side. The, we're trying to facilitate a transaction between between people who are might be easy to find, but the, the, but making a transaction a micro transaction happen is just too inconvenient, too too just too much friction. It's too much of a pain. It's just not worth doing with the amount of like paperwork that has to happen just for like two or three hours of work. It's just not worth it. But we're trying to take that out of that friction out of it so that it is worth it. It's 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 brain dead simple. So basically, what you're saying is just to, to sum it up, the the, tr- the, the real value that we're bringing to the equation is facilitating very small work sessions versus facilitating very long work sessions. And so s- since that's the, the real value, that's what we should 100% focus on and not get worried about anything else. Yeah, we're not project-based. We're not long-term employment. It's a totally different thing. And we're also not like there's, there's like, you know, there's, you know, there's a couple of sites I've seen where it's like really short-term, like by the minute. Yeah. But that's really more for consumers. Like, I only want to hire someone for like $2 a minute, hire them for like 10 minutes. I mean, that's, that's kind of not what we're, we're aiming with the stuff that's more like, you know, half hour in the short end, but more like an hour, two, three hours yeah. of just like, you know, hardcore um, stuff. Because most experts, people who have, can pick and choose what they do, aren't going to be interrupted for three minutes of work. It's just stupid. Yeah. They're like, I don't, I don't need your 15 or 20 bucks for three minutes. You know, it's like, okay, you want to pay me 250, 300, 300 bucks an hour or whatever it is for, and I'll, I'll work you for a couple hours on stuff that, that, that's reasonable because it's, it compensates them for the context switch. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll schedule these two hours to work with you for them, but I'm not going to break whatever I'm doing for six minutes for 30 bucks. It's just, it's, so that's a whole, that's a whole different, but people, the, the, the pay by the minute game is really aimed more for consumers where we're more for companies, not necessarily big companies, but companies where it's like, look, these people are experts willing to pay them because even if it costs us 500 or a thousand dollars, work with them for X many hours, that could save us tens of thousands of dollars in terms of strategy mistakes or whatever, or, or technology platform, you know, decisions that were just not well made because we just didn't know enough. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we um, move on to some some greener pastures? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So wait, you're, let's let's. I, I got I got some. So you're moving to uh, Savannah, Georgia. Oh yes. Next week. Oh, this is a, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to make fun of me. 
Let's do it. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, I know what you want to make fun of. You want to make fun of my idea that we're going on a five-day road trip from uh, Los Angeles down to Savannah. And we're, we're, we're traveling it, uh, in the car. And my grand plan is <laughs> to work four hours a day in the car. <laughs> yeah, this is your this is work workation. Justin's workation part two. <laughs> yeah, I, you got so much work done while you were in Ireland that you're thinking you can even more driving across the okay, country. Okay, but look, look, there, there's the difference, right? So in Ireland, when I'm on vacation, there's lots of people to see and things to do, and there's lots of pubs to be in drinking. But actually, driving across the middle of America for like ten hours a day, I mean. There's not that much to do. So if I can just plug in my laptop into the cigarette lighter and do four hours work on Plugio, go for it. I don't know. Maybe you can. I, you know, I, I've just found that maybe I'm just projecting on you my, my sort of um, the inefficiencies I experience when I attempt to, to work in situations like that. So like when I've tried a couple times to bring my laptop when we drive to from L.A. to Sandy's parents' place and they live in northern Las Vegas. It's like a five-hour trip. It's through the desert. So the kids are in the back watching whatever DVDs on or, or doing whatever they're doing. So I can just sit there and, and, and work. Right. But I just, you just can't, I just can't code my lap in a car. I can't, I'm working at such low efficiency. I'm working at like maybe 15, 20% efficiency that I'm just like, screw it. Why don't I just chill out, relax here in the car. And then I'll work for an hour when I get home. And, and that would have been like as much work as I would have gotten done five hours. Well, sitting. that may actually be the case because just thinking about sitting next to Georgie and she's driving and I'm working and completely ignoring her so that I'm doing 100% work efficiency, I just can't really imagine that happening either. <laughs> I can't imagine she's going to really yeah, exactly. love She's that. not going to be happy to just completely not have me totally present. So I guess it may end up not being that great. But maybe maybe <laughs> I'll just, you know, bring it out. I mean, the thing about it is, is certain tasks, as as we discussed even this morning, some tasks are kind of brain numbing, right? Where you're just formatting stuff or moving stuff from here to there you know zombie work. well you know see for me i can't um i don't use the trackpad i'm not i don't like the trackpad i'm not very good at it well yeah and if you're if you have like if you have like a macbook air you're a touch typist and you like the trackpad you might be good you might be you might you might be able to work fine for me I, I, I just, I just not efficient that way. I need a mouse and you can't really work with a mouse. And so I try the trackpad and I'm just kind of slow and annoying me. And then I'm just like, ah, screw it. So I, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm sure there's some people listen to this who are saying, oh man, I'm on a plane or a train and I bring my old, my old MacBook Air or netbook or whatever. And I crank stuff out. But well, on, for me, on I a train's fine because there's probably no one you have to speak to. Oh, so for you, it's less about sitting in an awkward position and having your hands in an awkward position to what to, uh, in, in comparison to say, sitting in a desk that you're used to. It's having having George, sitting next to Georgie and ignoring her and that being a problem. Yeah, exactly. It's really difficult for me to context switch. So when someone says to me, "Oh, what do you think of that cow we just passed?" I'm like, "Oh, shut up! I'm trying to work on this complicated pro- problem, right?" Yeah, and I'm sure "shut up" really doesn't <laughs> with Georgie. As far as I, I've only met Georgie a couple times, but I can almost guarantee that's not going to apply. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's that's the thing there. Yeah. See, I could see that actually isn't my problem because Sandy is quiet. I'm the talker. I know it's shocking. Yeah. To to hear that, but I'm the talker in our family, so she's fine. She could just sit back and just not talk for three hours. She'd be totally fine. She's with like, that. wow, just, this is the this is the first time Jason's been quiet in like a month. Yeah. So what we do is I I usually I just I usually print out like you know, 15 articles, and then I just plow through them. 
while uh, through the drive or 20, you know, I'll plow through like a week or two of reading the whole uh, through the drive there and back. So, uh, you know, so I, I guess I do ignore her <laughs> in that way, but of course if she says something to me. I'm, you know, you know, I'm, I'm there, you know, and I make comments to her throughout. It's not like I do it the whole time. I'm, I mean, I read for 15 minutes. I read an article and then I stop and I attempt to explain it to her until she says, I'm just not interested. I don't care. <laughs> like, you know, see what the kids are doing, but, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but okay, let's, the other issue is, so you're moving to Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> That's the biggest screw that you were moving to Savannah, Georgia. You're leaving the land of honey. Well, actually, I remember what I said to you on the show. I said, look, you know what? Georgia and myself are moving to Savannah. You said, no way. That's not going to happen. Okay, well, a couple things. I can't. Did I say no way? Yeah, you did. You, was, said, you said no way. And you said, you said here's why. Because, because girls are, you know, very close to their family and they don't want to be across the country away from their mom and, and, and all that type of thing, right? Wasn't that your reasoning? Well, I said, yeah, I said, first of all, yeah, women tend to like to stay closer to their family than guys. You know, they're all saying, uh, um, a son's a son until he takes a wife, but a daughter's a daughter for the rest of her life. Right, right. Um, and, you know, there's some truth to that, obviously. I'm sure there's plenty of exceptions, but, you know, and the fact that she has spent most of her life living near her parents, you guys go over there almost every weekend. You know, it's not like they live four hours away and you see them once every three months. I mean, it's like you guys see each other a lot. And, and, on, and also if you guys, um, you know, start a family or whatever, I just I was just like the fact that she seems pretty close with her mom and her sister. I'm just like, I don't see it, man. I see you guys. It's very if you do go, you're coming back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, and that's what I think may happen. I think we I think we might go down for a year, try it out and then come back. That's that's what I think may happen. That was more my thought. No, yeah. you you had. um kind of talked about trying to convince your your Georgie's parents and her sister and husband to move to Savannah with you guys. <laughs> yeah. That it was going to be an entire family migration. How's that working well, out? Well, no, not, not working out very well so far. But that's, you know, if we go down there and live down there and it, it all turns out to be really, really fantastic and, they you know, they come down and visit us, then maybe there could be some potential for that. Okay, we'll let's see. just review. I just want to hear, um, w- now what are your reasons for wanting to move there? Okay. We went there for uh, a vacation, just for a weekend, and we absolutely loved it. Like, it was just exactly right, because the the vibe and the style of it is very English, very European. And um, it's kind of small enough where you could have an impact on a town like that, you know, through the, just, I don't know, just have an impact, right? Whereas it's not so small that it's just so people are going to know a new sheriff's in town exactly i mean it's like it's it's small enough where you could be a, a kind of like a fish <laughs> in a small pond i don't know whether a big fish but at least a fish right but versus something like la or san francisco where there's just you know very very little chance of you making any actual substantial impact or being noticed or being and anything like that and i just get i just get a real sense of community i mean we uh when we came back we spoke to um there's various different, uh, I don't know what you call them, uh, like organizations about relocating to Savannah. And from speaking... Organizations? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> they relocate They relocate to Savannah well, organization? There's, 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 a, there's one, I mean, because I don't know, you, you know I'm Jewish, right? So Right, so it's a, there's a Jewish organization. Yeah, there's a Jewish organization. And they were so helpful and put us into, and they, had, they do have a program for relocating people to Savannah. And help <laughs> it's like I, was, I was joking with you before. I said, well, I said, well, their, their motto is like, we may not get you to Israel, but we'll get you to Savannah. 
<laughs> anyway, they just seem really nice, and they're they they like the people we spoke to also have like you know a, a tech startup thing that they do. I can't remember the name of it right now, but they do that once a year, and they're very involved, and they they speak about the um just the kind of grassroots stuff that you could do and it's it that's interesting to me there's there's none of that so far where i've been you know in los angeles oh you're in west hollywood now right that's right but also i just like to try out new things i just like to try out stuff i'm not i'm not like you where where i'll just kind of stay in one place my whole life i don't i've moved around i i you know i grew up in atlanta i went to college and lived for a total of seven years in chicago you know the rest of time i've lived in pasadena you know i've I wouldn't say I'm a world traveler, but I'm not like some guy who grew up in a small town and never left, you know, and I, you know, I've been to plenty of other cities. I've been to New York many times. I go to San Francisco all the time and, you know, I, I see other places that I like. I was at Savannah in Savannah recently that I, and, and it's like all of these places are nice. It's just for me, I've sort of optimized like Pasadena. It just is sort of optimal for the way I like to live. Yeah. So. Well, I, I hope they have good internet connection down there because if they don't, that's going to be very annoying. Hey, well, that's probably going to be up to you, like who you sign up with and your Wi-Fi connection. So we're, we're, we're driving down, right? And we, we don't have a place to stay. So we're just going to stay in a hotel until we can find something. Justin Vincent at the Motel 6, we're, New Sheriff's we're, Town. We're driving down with a cat in the car. So, so the cat's not going to be in the cage. It's just going to be roaming around the car for five days. Oh, you know what's going to happen? With a cat litter in the back. Have you done? Oh my god! <laughs> I can tell you right now, that's your first mistake. That's a disaster. And I think I'm going to get four hours work done <laughs> under that yeah, scenario. Not going to happen. So here, here, here's one thing that's going to happen: the cat is quite likely going to freak out and pee in the car, and your car is going to smell like cat pee, <sighs> and that. And you're gonna you're gonna be like you're gonna make it by as far as like uh, Bakersfield, and then you're gonna bail. <laughs> 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 I still remember that when I was like nine or ten, and we we were this is when I we lived in Atlanta. When I grew up, we lived in Atlanta, and we were taking a trip to Hilton Head Island, which is I don't know five hours drive or something like that from Atlanta. And we brought our cat for some reason, and that's exactly what happened. Peed in the car, and it was a nightmare. And so never, I don't. I still haven't gotten that smell out of my nose. Oh God. Nothing well, I really hope that doesn't happen. That's why we're putting a cat litter in the back. So hopefully that cat will go where it's so supposed to go. So then you take a hard, hard turn, the whole cat litter turns over <laughs> in your back. Oh, my God. All over the luggage. Oh, or... no. Oh, it, look, it does sound kind of stupid. But anyway, it's an adventure. Let's see what happens. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. <laughs> right. It's going to be great. <laughs> I can't wait. I want to hear, hear travel notes. Oh, no. Let's do, make sure you take the DAT recorder that we got. And, and, um, and record, record along the way, record, I want, I want like, you know, like the Star Trek, like Captain's Log, <laughs> Stardate, look at the cat letter has just tipped over, <laughs> Georgie has stopped talking to me, I've gotten six minutes of work done in the last three days. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, so we, this, this has been a funny show. We have done, we have not really spoken about anything other than our own stuff. Um, I've got something to bring up if you're interested. Yeah, so did you see that um, article about uh, Dyson? What's Dyson's first name? Freeman Dyson? No, the, the English inventor behind the... Oh, behind, James Dyson. Yeah. So did you see that article uh, by James Dyson? Or Well, it's, it wasn't by him, but it was about him and about how he's been promoting manufacturing economy in Britain. And also... Well, he's the guy who created the, uh, the, the vacuum cleaner, The Dyson right? vacuum, yeah. Cleaner, right? okay. It was just, just a really interesting article about what, you know, Dyson's talking about and how, how he's saying that ultimately in England, 
at least anyway, and probably the same in America, that there, that it could be potentially moved back to a manufacturing economy. You just have to you just have to basically deal with the unions and the laws because it's the unions and the laws that stop um, the kind of environment that's happening in China right now. Because basically, since uh, f- what what they call Fordism, um, since you know he- Fordism, like Henry yeah Ford? Henry Ford exactly. So for, from a Fordism point of view, which is the way that uh, we think of manufacturing and manufacturing jobs now in England, right? So a job in a man in a in a company is like you're married to it for life, and the unions have really pressed for job security and all that stuff, which is completely different to what we need to be to where to how we need to work it to compete with China. It's more like a freelance concept, right? You can you just do a job for this factory for two weeks, a job for this factory for four weeks, so that they can upscale factories and downscale factories instantly. Problem is, is that that's so the opposite of our laws and the way that our unions work, it's impossible right now. Yeah, so I think there's a, I didn't read the article, but um, in just in terms of, of what you what you, what you described, I mean, there's kind of, when you go to too far extremes, you have problems. So if you go to the point where um, there's no protection for, um, there's no protection for uh, workers' rights, for instance, you have the stuff that happened to like, what was it, X Foxconn? Yeah. You know? Oh, and that's even probably much better place to work than than most of these manufacturing companies in China and other places in the uh, in developing economies, where you know you don't you don't have protection against environmental issues about vacation about time breaks or about whatever. People can really be exploited, and they are. And 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 the problem that's happening right now is that you're competing against China, where China doesn't have the additional cost of having to do certain things for the workers, have to spend money on decent working conditions and, 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 and pay higher wages for, you know, various things They have to have to cover medical issues or unemployment or any of that kind of stuff. Then, then, then workers in, in first world countries like the U S or England or France or whatever are at a a significant disadvantage, right? There's no way that they can compete with that. Um, And then, but if, and so I think the only way that, that you can really make it even a reasonable playing field. And this is, this is completely taking out of consideration the fact that you have currency issues um, in, 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 in what a living wage is in one country versus other. And you can live much more cheaply in some, certain countries than you can in others. So even taking that out of the equation, you kind of have to get these countries that you're, that you're importing goods from or that you're competing against, you have to get their um, sort of regulations into some re- first world level to even make it a fair, uh, a, a regional playing uh, ground, a fair, 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 um, call it fair uh, playing field. Well, the other issue is, let me just finish one last thing. And that is that the, um, but you're right. If you go to the other instance and you say, okay, well, you have these unions can put a stranglehold on industries and on, and on countries. And um, you see that happen all the time where if, if they have kind of a monopoly over it because there's no other option then they can drive prices up and create incredible inefficiencies for these companies and for the inefficiencies. And you see that happen over and over again. I think the, the worst example of it that I think has affected our country is the teachers union because, well, well, in some ways they're trying to protect, you know, teachers, their, their, their ability to make a decent living and all that kind of stuff, which is, which is important. It does at times come at the expense of, of kids that you can't fire bad teachers and all these kinds of things. So He was saying that hourly wage isn't, like he said, contrary to popular belief, hourly wage is nowhere near the level of the issue that people think it is. It's um, more the issue is the fact 
that because he was saying even Rolls Royce workers, the guys who work in that factory, they they earn an average of like sixty five thousand a year. You know, you a, a lot of the jobs in the Dyson factories are, are for people who have degrees. You know, who are graduates, and even in China, you know, where they do it now, he said they could pay a lot of money. But the problem is, is it's the whole aspect that to get each different component, it's all locally over there. So if you made, say, a large piece of the vacuum cleaner in the UK, but then you had to get all the small pieces imported over from China, that's just not as efficient as doing everything in China and moving it over in one go. But another, another reason why he was saying the hourly wage argument didn't mean that much is that if everything was developed in, in the UK, then there's a massive saving in the transportation costs, you know? And in the in the in the way of bringing everything, because it's all there, it's all already constructed in that one country. So that's a massive saving of money, just because you don't have to move stuff so far. Uh, so what's his plan? I guess his plan is basically to deal with is to try and tackle it um, from a legal point of view, deal with the laws, and push it through. Well, what's his what's law does he want to change exactly? Well, they want to work. I don't think there's any one specific law. I think they want to work with the unions and I. Is it isn't there a car company that's turned around a bit in in the U.S. now? Is it GM? I don't know. I mean, I see it's so hard to um, really understand exactly what happened because there was they get huge bailouts, and then you know apparently they they claimed they paid it back, but they didn't really pay it back, and I, you know I don't even know you know so that stuff you get you you get the stuff sort of like these PR statements, these almost like political statements like oh yeah well GMs did this or whatever and the government helped and it's like. A lot of times you look at the details, it's not necessarily the case. And, uh, you know, and, and even if they did, it's because they got these massive free interest loans and things. But I don't know if that's the case. Well, there's but some, I'm, I can't remember. And I would need to look at the article to cite the exact source, but some, uh, I think it's GM. There has been a turnaround. And part of the reason why that turnaround has happened is because the unions have basically given up some level of job security. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's you, you have to come to some kind of middle ground between unions and um, and companies. I mean, you, if unions are too powerful, then they have a stranglehold. But if they're too, if there is no union and you can play your workers off overseas labor that works for ten cents in the dollar, then people at these companies can be paid minimum wage and have terrible lives. So. I don't know, you, but you got to you got to get somewhere in between. You got you got to you got to hit a middle ground, I guess. I guess another another point that the article was making is that um, basically economies that are based on services and finances are the economies mm-hmm. that have really gone under, whereas economies that are based on manufacturing totally haven't. And Germany is the example in Europe where it's just doing fantastically, right? Because it's 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 a a manufacturing based economy. It is. It, it's it's primarily it's still. Majority of its. That's what the article said. Obviously, I don't. I don't huh. know beyond what the article huh. said, but yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, let's move on. Okay. Um. Let's see. Um. Oh, you know, I got some. Um. So, did you um? You remember the? Uh, I mean, I know you know, but there the. I guess we'll just review it here. The uh, little hacker news thing last week called uh, Ask HN Help a Hacker Out. Oh yeah. I remember that one. So, so um, actually, uh, I ghost wrote that. Um, and here's the story. So, a friend of mine um, who just, I don't know, just had a couple of not so great uh, situations, I had a couple of situations just not work out. And he made a decision to move back home with his mom 
in, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa to sort of regroup and figure out what his next move was. And he had a condo right in, in downtown Chicago, but he just felt like, well, if I can get that rented out and if I can move to, you know, if I can just go and like stay at my mom's and then I can, I can move anywhere I want on a dime. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I guess he felt like Chicago wasn't really gonna, there wasn't anything there that he was going to want to do. So, and I told him, I thought that was a really bad idea. <laughs> I thought, you know, it's one thing to do that if you're like 25, it's nothing to do that when you're 41, yeah. you know, I just, I think, and, uh, I just think it's easy to just kind of get stuck there. You gotta be really, real careful because the cement can dry and then you're kind of, you're kind of run out of money and you're stuck kind of. In a, in a part of the world where there's not a whole lot going on for that can um, take advantage of your skill set. Yeah. So I was kind of advising him. I'd set him up with an interview or two and um, trying to help him out. And I'd given him a call the uh, couple weeks ago. It was uh, two weeks ago, actually, exactly. And um, I, and I was like, so what's so what's what's going on? I mean, what's what's the latest? And he's like, ah, you know, not it's not so great. I'm just you know doing this. I'm thinking about maybe actually uh, just getting a part time job, just to get a you know, low paying part time job, just so I can get out of the house. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really bad idea. Yeah. So and he's all right, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I just, I was sort of shocked at that. And I said, listen, I said, that's terrible because first of all, what's going to happen is you're not going to make enough money to, to get out of your current situation. And then what's going to happen is just going to suck down what little energy you have to make something happen. And then if you have to do interviews and stuff, you can't, cause you're going to be at work a lot of the time. Yeah. And I said, like, I would just focus on getting a, getting into a real situation somewhere. And furthermore, I'm like, if you're going to get a part-time job, it's low paying. I'm like, just go down to like Drake university and like, you know, apply to like TA, you know, linear algebra, or differential equations or something. Yeah. You know, I mean, you get a low pay, just say, I'm a, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I'm a TA at the university. That's at least better than, you know, in delivering pizzas for Domino's or something, you know? So, um, so I, but I said, but I have a better idea. I was like, you know what you should do is write something up, do like, ha- ask Hacker News, just put it up there and just, just explain your situation and that you're looking, you know, tell people what you can do and just, you know, see what happens. Look, ask for help. And he's like, oh, okay, or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, do, I said, but don't post it. I said, write it and send it to me. Just so I can <laughs> check it out. Yeah. I, I kind of know how this, this should probably work. So... The next day or two, he sends it to me, and I look at it, and I'm just like, yeah, that's not really going to work. I mean, it just wasn't, it just didn't really, um, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. Let's just put it that way. And so, even though I had like 50,000 things to do, I was like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to rewrite this thing. So, I, so I write like this, I, I write this like a you know, like couple paragraphs, and I say, and I email back to him, like, all right, this is kind of along the lines of what I'm thinking you should do. I said, you know, but feel free to edit it or discard it, but this is, this is, this is kind of how it should be. Uh, this will work. And so I send it to him, and then I, and I, I guess not too long ago, I go to lunch, and I come back, and he sends me an email, and he's like, I'm on the front, ha- on the front page of Hacker News. <laughs> I'm like, what? So I look at it, it's like number three on Hacker News. And I think, I don't know if it got any higher than number three, but it was at number three, it was on there all day. And I think at the end, it got like something like 
283 points and like 85 comments. And most of the comments were people like, yeah, we'd love to talk to you, you know, cause he, you know, he, you know, he has a lot of skills and that's what I tried to, 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 to reference and, uh, in, in the, in the email. And so, uh, you know, he got, and in fact, within an hour, he said, I think he got like 30 or 40 emails from people. That's fantastic. Did, did any kind of job come out of that? Yeah. You know what first says, I'm going to have you read it. You're good. You're good at reading this stuff. You want to read it? Sure. I think it's pretty good. Here's, 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 um, yeah, he changed one or two words of it, but this was essentially my version. So, um, okay. So this is what you posted to Hacker News and what, well, he posted what what I wrote and, and he posted it and it went to number one. Okay. So. As a, result of, as a result of a series of unfortunate misfires and suboptimal decisions, I find myself in the unbelievable position of being unemployed and living back home with my mum in Des Moines. I- Des Moines. Des Moines, Iowa. While it may sound like a setup for a romantic comedy, the fact that a plucky and attractive female has yet to make an appearance has made it painfully clear that it's not going to be that kind of a movie. So, before the cement dries on what was intended to be a very short-term situation, and I find myself greeting shoppers at the local Walmart, Walmart, I've decided to buy a one-way ticket to San Francisco where, it seems to be, where there seems to be plenty of opportunity for the likes of me. The only problem is that I don't have a job or an interview or even any connections I can leverage. But if you need help solve, solving hard problems, I'm your guy. I have an undergraduate degree in mathematics from the University of Chicago and a master's in, the mathematics, a master's in mathematics from Iowa State. I know C++ and Python pretty well. And I've worked as a derivative quant, a high-frequency trader. Derivatives quant. <laughs> derivatives <laughs> quant, a high-frequency trader, and even tried my hand at professional poker for a while. I'm open to short or long-term consulting projects, as well as full-time employment. I'm particularly interested in working on challenging problems dealing with, other, with cheeky algorithms and big data. But I'm up for jumping back into HDF if there's a decent opportunity. HFT. <laughs> HFT. <laughs> or I'm doing my best here. Hell, I'll even chew to you in differential equations or advanced Texas Hold'em strategies if that's where this adventure needs to begin. In short, I'm a smart guy coming to SF and I need an opportunity. Please help a hacker out, winky face. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, why Ghost wrote it, I mean, it was clearly his story. Um, and it's awesome because he's he now has like... I don't know. I think he has like a half a dozen to a dozen somewhere of interviews. He's flying out, I think, tomorrow or something or Tuesday to uh, San Francisco. And he has, yeah, like half a dozen to a dozen interviews set up at different companies. Okay, that's excellent. So, so we're going to find he's out. Also had, and he also has a couple of interesting things, a couple of interesting, like some high-frequency trading firms have been in touch with him and some other just, you know, just kind of cool stuff. So where he was before sitting at home in his mom's place <laughs> feeling bad about himself now he's got all these all this, all these amazing possibilities and i think it there are a couple of things you could take from that which is one it was sort of like it's sort of like aspect that looks surfaceary which is that you just got to tell people what you have going on what you're trying to do yeah right i mean that's part of it i mean if you if you don't have any skills or you're not doing anything you know telling people what you want to do or who you are isn't going to help. But if you have some value and you're like, Hey man, <laughs> I can help you out. Anyone want to, you know, give me a shot. Yeah. It's just kind of sometimes amazing. And I think a lot of people, because, and this is what I was trying to emphasize in the beginning of that is like, is like he had to, you had to be vulnerable and say, look, you know, I made some bad decisions. You know, I'm living at home with my mom, you know, 
<laughs> and in be to have a little bit of a sense of humor about it, and other people can empathize with that. They can be like, "Oh, you know, that sucks," but I can I can see how that can happen, and you know, I want to help you out. Yeah. And uh, and then of course, just being kind of open about wanting to do a lot of stuff, which really is how he is. I mean, that's kind of how he felt about things. He's like, "Hey, man, I'll you know I'll do whatever." So I was trying to capture that, and um, but it was just amazing how it worked. I mean, part of it, I think you have to say Hacker News. I mean, um. There's a lot of people on there who are going to appreciate that kind of that perspective, and uh, it was just really cool that you could ask for help like that and it and it and get it. Yeah, well, nice, nicely done. So we'll see the end of that. We'll get an update on this story in um in in a, in a few weeks probably. I mean, I'll give an ongoing update, I guess. So this is my buddy Kaz. I've brought him up a few times, um, and uh, he's a friend of mine from uh, from University of Chicago. He we were. Uh, he lived on my floor. Uh, he was uh, just a, he's a real character. And, uh, but he's a super, super bright guy, super high IQ um, type personality. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, he says he's going to give a call on Wednesday. So I'll see how he's getting updated and how the interviews are going. Well, congratulations on that. I really hope that he gets, he gets something out of it. Yeah, why well, too? I hope it. Hope he. Hope he does. I was just really. It was really just funny walking in after lunch. You know, do 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 do. Holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> number three on Hacker News. It worked. Well, it you know worked because another friend of mine just just like the way that worked for another friend of mine who was high, in high frequency trading, and he um and I've told the story before, but I'll just give you a real quick recap. Is you know he he had been doing high frequency trading, loved it, but the, but the company he had been doing with his his dad was part of it, and then and, the, and they had raised a lot of money and were doing well, but then they just weren't doing well, and the whole thing blew up. And then so he had to take a job at uh, it was a startup, but it was kind of a sleepy startup, and he and he really wanted to get back into the high frequency trading game. And he was kind of explaining to me, you know, his frustration, and 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 I said, well, listen, you know, why don't you just Start a blog and start writing about high frequency trading, and I guarantee you, you won't get more than a few posts out, and 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 they're gonna they're going to uh, be on you like water and rice. Mm-hmm. And and he did it. He's and like, did well, yeah. And I had to convince him. I spent like a two hour. I remember it was like again, it was only Sunday afternoons because what I'll do is I'll go to the park with my kids, and they're out running around doing whatever they're doing, and I some you know times I have some time to kill. I'm just kind of standing there watching them as they're playing in the sandbox or whatever, and so I'll some and I'll tend to make call friends of mine catch up and it was one of those things just like i talked to cause that week and i called you know this other friend of mine and i, I won't use his name because i don't think he really wants this you know yeah his himself identified so i and i, I had to convince this but like an hour like oh, trust me just write it just talk about this do it this way and it worked exactly like it like three days in a row or maybe within a week like every post has went to the front page of hacker news and he just got crushed with emails from recruiters and top-notch high-frequency trading firms and prop shops all wanting to talk to him and you know it was just it was amazing it was so cool when you like when something happens and you're like in accordance with the prophecy <laughs> well i mean it is a little bit miracle functionish. i mean because in some ways it has to be really good writing and it has to be really interesting it's not like anyone could just write anything and all of a sudden their life's going to start turning around but in these instances you you've crafted that post well on hacker news and your friends writing good blog posts so yeah, well, you know, like, so in Kaz's case, I mean, he had a good story. It was just a matter of just phrasing it the right way, right? Yeah. And in the story of the friend of mine who was in the trading world, I mean, I knew he knew he's a really smart guy and he knows a lot of stuff that a lot of people are going to want, that, are, that are, are a lot of people are going to value. Yeah. So it was just a matter of putting it out there and say, hey, I know all of this stuff. And I'm looking, you know, he didn't even say that he was looking for a job. <laughs> you know, he didn't even get that far. He's for three posts. So you're right. I mean, you, you have to have just just telling your story isn't enough 
it's it's just one part of the sort of luck service area thing. But um, the other part, of course, is knowing something or having done something that other people are going to think is 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 good or useful or valuable. Oh, but I have a I have something that plays into go on actually go on. Okay, yeah. So it, um, it, a guy named Dave Wasmer Wasmer I think it's W A S M E R. So. Yeah. Wasmer, um, wrote a blog post called How I Got a Job from a Hacker News Post. And uh, he, he said, it was just great. He goes, if I, and this is like the middle of the first paragraph. He goes, if I wanted to break into the startup world, I had to start somewhere. And after listening to Jason Roberts of the TechZing podcast, it seemed like a blog, like a blog was a good way to start building a personal brand. And so they went on later and he, and he started talking about you know, I guess he mentioned later, he goes, oh, to borrow another bit of wisdom from Jason Roberts' story is about luck surface area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Given enough exposure, the impossibly lucky becomes, inev- becomes the inevitable, which is a great way of putting it. That's actually much better than I have ever descri- have described it. Um, so that was Let's really... Say, uh, say it again, the impossibly inevitable... Given, given enough exposure, the impossibly lucky becomes the inevitable. Oh, okay. I mean... Um, just say, yeah, you just got to keep shooting. You just got to get out there and, and, and make people understand, know, you know, what you can do. And, uh, so it's really cool. I, I guess he just wrote a blog post and talked about stuff he was doing and, and, and next thing you know, you know, within, I don't know, a week or two, he's working at, uh, I think it's Ken, Kenvey, 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 Kenvey. They're kind of like, um, PARS. Hmm. Or stack mob, but like to do a backend, uh, like kind of like a real simple way to build a backend yeah. for mobile apps cool, or something. Yeah. And uh, nothing worked. So he actually emailed me and and uh, you know kind of just alerted me to the post and and um, which was funny because I had just like probably ten minutes before he emailed me, I was like I got to email this guy and tell him thanks for for mentioning the you know my name and Lux Service area. I thought that was cool that he actually did that and. Uh, but then he's like, and then he's like, hey, give me a, a you know, let, you want to talk on the phone? So we end up having like a half hour talk or something last weekend. Cool. And uh, catch him, which is really cool. Um, and uh, but yeah, so he's it worked. It was like the, the luck surface area has is uh, is 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 uh, sort of having an impact. I guess it's going to go down in history. <laughs> well, I think if you type in a Google, I typed it in the other day to just to see how far that sort of meme had sent had spread. Let's see, luck. Surface area. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be different for you. You need to be in a logged out state. What is the number of results? Uh, no, to see where it actually ends up, you need to be in a logged out state. Because- no, no, no. Wait, so I just type in the thing. I just how many results? Oh, oh, okay, show fine. Yeah. Five million one hundred forty thousand. Uh, you type it in. If you put it in quotes. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it'll probably be like a, a ten one percent of that. Six thousand. Yeah, that's what I thought. Six thousand two hundred thirty. That's pretty good. Hmm. Well, I'd be interested to see if that's all from you. I yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is. I've, I went through it like the first twenty. I was kind of looking through and see people, you know, mentioning it. So I think Lux Siri now qualifies as an official meme. It's just like on, on the scale of one to ten, it's probably still like a one or a two. Well, that's <laughs> in terms of how popular it is. That's kind of good because you've you. It's a baby meme. You've increased Texing's Lux Surface Area by talking about Lux Surface Area. Yeah, it kind of has that meta recursive yeah. effect. Okay, so let's move on. Okay, go on. What you got? What do I have? Well, you guys. Well, well I, you're the one who says that they, you know, you are bursting with things to talk about. I got some. You want to talk the news? I, I think we should I, talk I, about what you want to talk about because uh, we haven't spoken for two shows, and I'm fine. I mean, I have one other thing, which is um, 
an article about we're underrating the risk of human extinction, but actually, oh, I was going to bring that up. Okay, too. we'll, we'll go it. on then. But go ahead. It would be good if you could, because I've actually forgotten what it was about now. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to lead into it with another right, article. Okay, go that on. I think related. Okay. It was called. It's the title is "Blast It or Paint It: Asteroid to Threaten Earth in 2013." Right. Did you see that? No, one? I didn't. So basically, this ast- this asteroid named DA14, it was spotted by some Spanish uh, stargazers, um, is supposed to come within 16,700 miles of Earth in February of next year. Hmm. So that's 27,000 kilometers for non-Americans. So that's pretty damn close. In fact, it's closer than geosynchronous orbit of, of, of a lot of satellites. Wow. So that's scary. Now, the... Um, and I guess the, I can't remember how large they said it was, but they said the energy released would equate to the destructive power of a thermonuclear bomb. And the destination is yet to be determined. Wow. So coming to you, a thermonuclear explosion in February. Wow. February um, of next year. Two, oh, no, two, of next year. Yeah. Right. So live it up. So what are we, so what are, we say, what are they saying? I mean. Uh, well, it was interesting. They, you know, um, well, I, I, I think, well, they say there's two ways that you can sort of deal with it. They had two, the two big ideas. The one idea is you have a, you get a spaceship to just like do the sort of the deep impact kind of approach or whatever, just smash into it and and try and hit it off course that way, break it into a bunch of smaller pieces. And the other was to just go on there and paint it, <laughs> paint it, <laughs> and that by painting it a different color, like a light color, like the reflection of the way the the the, the sunlight would hit on it, it would change its trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was just imagining like a big smiley face, like have a nice day. <laughs> Which is the more likely to succeed? They didn't say. That was just their two ideas. I just, I really think it should just be a big smiley face on there. I think that would be fantastic. And push it off. Have a nice day. So, well, my other idea, I'm like, if you're going to do the, if you're going to like try and blast it out of space, well, either way, you got to get there with a spaceship, some kind of rocket. And I'm saying, I'm saying we got to, we got to start. The internet needs to page Elon Musk. <laughs> Elon Musk, paging Elon Musk, come to the office. We have a situation. Yeah, but I mean, he's going to know about that, right? <laughs> well, I'm sure. But I mean, they, they need to call him and say, okay, buddy, we need one of your super rockets, you know, to, uh, to take this baby out. And I, I could just picture the uh, conversation. It's going to be something like uh, Ghostbusters. When you, when you remember, remember when Bill, Bill Murray's there talking to the mayor? <laughs> he's like, if I'm right and we can stop this thing, then you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. <laughs> I just say that to Elon Musk. <laughs> like, okay, I'm in. Yep. So I don't know. So that's, that's the deal. Well, I hope, we got I mean, asteroid. I hope we hear more about that because it, <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, if it's like something that's very undercurrent and it's a real threat, that's not very good. I want to hear about it. People should know. Well, you should just keep a, do, a, do a Google alert for asteroid DA14. I mean, they said, like I said, it's, 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 gonna, it's calculated to fly within 16, roughly 16,000 miles of Earth. So it doesn't mean it necessarily is going to hit it. But if, I think what they said, it, it could come around again a second time or something, and then again, a whole other issue. But I don't know. But they, they, it, it, was, it was interesting because they, they kind of... Um, they, you know, we were supposed to have this sort of, I mean, you've heard that NASA is supposed to have these, like, these programs where we identify these near, near-Earth objects or something. And it was actually, the whole thing was, the, the name of it was called Space Guard, which is funny because I was just watching um, 
this TV show on History Channel called uh, Prophets of Sci- The Prophets of Science Fiction. Mm-hmm. Remember me bringing that up? Yeah, so Arthur C. Clarke, they were talking about it there, like he, he created this concept in, um, I guess, his book, uh, Rendezvous with Rama, um, this idea of space guard, which is have all these satellites just tracking these, um, you know, large objects that could potentially crash into Earth. And so there actually is something kind of like that, but it turns out that it's really sort of um, not very sophisticated. It's not super well funded. I mean, it's not, it's not a, to the degree that it probably should be. Um, and I did a little research I, I checked out on, on Wikipedia about space guard. And I, I guess up to a certain point, that whole idea of tracking objects because they might crash Earth was considered kind of alarmist and ridiculous by, say, astrophysicists in general or, uh, you know, people at NASA because they thought it was just, that the possibility was so infinitesimally small that it was just sort of just dumb. And, but then I guess Comet Shoemaker-Levy 9 uh, hit Jupiter in, in, in July of 94. And in uh, this thing, this thing... Uh, had the impact, had the power of 600 times the world's nuclear arsenal. Wow. That's how much energy released. So then I was like, yeah, okay, maybe this is worth thinking about. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd ran into Jupiter and I made this, just this gigantic uh, black circle. They said, I think we had the diameter of 12,000 kilometers. Yeah. That just, just giant black circle there. So... Yeah. Well, the, that I mean, that does lead us onto the the we're under underestimating underestimating the risk of human extinction. Oh my. God. Yeah. Well, that's right. Didn't I, I give you a great lead in? So now go ahead. Well, the problem is, uh, why don't you go? Because I think you you're better at doing these things. <laughs> better at reading the story. Okay. So um, it was an article in the Atlantic, and the the guy they were talking to is a guy named uh, Nick Bostrom, and he's a professor of philosophy at Oxford. And he directs the uh, Future of Humanity Institute, which is kind of interesting that they would have something like that, a Future of Humanity Institute. Yeah. No weird. That's kind of like the Singularity Institute. Um, so, and he, he apparently argues in a series of papers that, you know, human extension, extinction risks are poorly understood and, and even worse that they're, they're severely underestimated by society and that essentially... We, we sort of have some appreciation for like the possibility of natural disasters like super volcanoes or massive earthquakes, tsunamis, or even things like solar flares. You know, but things like what, what he's most concerned with are things that we create ourselves. He, he says we, we underestimate the power of the exponential, right? And so, so he's talking about things like, you know, uh, I guess, what are they called? Uh, the very small robots and things like that. Nanobots? Nanobots, yeah. Is that what the, yeah, what's one thing he talks about? Virus. Well, you know, the other thing was like viruses, like the whole yeah. thing we talk about, the H, yeah. H5N1 thing, you know, like we create something and then it gets out and then it's like, oh, hell breaks loose and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, you just, um, you just got to be careful. But what's interesting is he's not, he's not a proponent. He's not a Luddite. He's not saying that we need to stop technolo- technological progress. It's just, we got to be really careful through this phase, but we have to get through it because when you, I, I can't remember exactly how the argument goes, but basically when you, sh- if, even if you're able to stop technological progress, which is almost impossible because there's so much incentive to push for technological progress, so much financial incentive, political incentive, just that, you know, human curiosity, that's just, it's inevitable that we're going to push forward to some degree, but that, um, but, but if there's some way of creating some author- authoritarian regime that shut everything down, that that could have a whole nother, you know, obviously that would be a terrible, terrible world to live in. But, uh, also, uh, uh, there's one part, part where he says, each time we make one of these new discoveries, we're putting our hand into a big urn of balls and pulling up a new ball. 
and just basically um so far we've pulled up white balls and gray balls but maybe next time we'll pull up a big black one that spells disaster so it's like each new technology that we create so for example we you know we created nuclear weapons and there was a few times where we came close to all-out nuclear war um but somehow we didn't <laughs> yeah well yeah that's just right you just don't you just never know it's kind of that it's sort of like um nassim taleb's uh concept of the um, of the um the black swan right right it's like something was just you just couldn't predict or or you know, or anticipate um but what i really was was actually most interested in the whole entire article i mean I, i'd highly recommend it. it was it was it was it was a good read but the, this idea of he started he started talking about the ancestor simulation you remember we talked about that on the show a couple times do, do, you, do you know do you remember no, the ancestor me. Okay, so the ancestor simulation is the idea that we're not actually real; that we're we're actually a simulation. All right, yeah, <laughs> right. Remember that? So it, that stuff was hitting Hacker News a lot, like six months or a year ago. I mean, there was it, it, the thing is, is, it was sort of it's one of these things that's, that's somewhat taken seriously by a lot of academia and, and, and philosophers and, and physicists, thinking like, okay, as a thought experiment, how could we prove one way or the other whether we are an ancestor simulation or what would that mean? You know. That sort of stuff. And so he, he starts talking about um, – he, he introduces it with this concept of, the, of, a, of a type of bias called observation selection effect, which is that the, the observer – observations require the existence of an observer, an observer. And depending on where they stand, they're affecting essentially the – whatever they're measuring in a way. So for, and they said in particular one example is a self-sampling assumption, which is sort of a, an example of the observation selection effect. And he says, so, okay, if I, if I said to you, like, well, you know, 100 billion humans have lived so far, you know, have, have ever existed, how many more humans, how many think humans would live in total? Do we, 200 billion will live in total or 200 trillion, right? Now, the, the thing is, you'd most likely say 200, it'd be more reasonable to say 200 billion because if you said 200 trillion, trillion, then you're saying that you're one of the first 0.05% of people who ever lived. <laughs> Which is, you know, because if you're, if, you're if you're just like randomly selected, you're just assuming you're probably somewhere in the middle. Right? Isn't that kind of, that's kind of a strange... Yeah, that's weird. I haven't really thought about that. So, um, yeah, and so, and, and in terms of describing the simulation argument, he says, um, the question is, so basically, trying to figure out is like, are we in a, what he terms a basement level physical reality or in a simulation? And so there's three propositions. He says, one of the propositions is true, but it doesn't tell us which one. So the one is all, almost all civilizations like ours go extinct before reaching technological maturity. Okay, that's the first one. So that's not really great news, if that's true, because that means at some point humans will cease to exist. Yeah. Okay? Two, almost all technological, technologically mature civilizations lose interest in creating ancestor simulations. Computer simulations detailed enough that the simulated minds within them would be conscious. Okay, so that would be the situation, right? Yeah, that would be okay. I'm the third is we're almost certainly living in a computer simulation. Right. If one is true, then we may be at risk, right? Because we're just gonna go extinct. But if three is true, then we could be at risk of being shut off, or of there being some other type of intervention because we're just a simulation. Right. And the idea, I think he was saying that the idea is that it's more likely that we're a simulation because if it does, at least if three is true, um, 
because there's an infinite number, because there'd be an astronomical number of simulations. So by the sampling bias, where are we? Well, we're probably just a simulation then. <laughs> right. But that, does that yeah, it does. But it's kind of like saying, you know, if, if I'm going to win the lottery, um, I'm either going to win it or I'm not. So I've got a 50-50 chance. But actually, <laughs> it's more like a one in a billion chance. But it's either I do win or I don't win. 50-50. No, no, because what you're saying there is that, I mean, the, the, the no, I don't think it's quite the same thing because, let me see if I can explain this. So, because um, the, the probability is, 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 is infinitely small that you're going to win, so. Yeah, but it's still, either you win or you don't. Okay. So therefore, that's, that's a binary switch. I don't, really, I don't really quite get what you're saying, I guess. Well, whatever. Let's move sure, on. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> no problem, no I can tell. I can tell that that conversation is not going to be an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. Problem. I'm pulling the plug on that one. Okay. I got. I got to go on. Okay. Good. Um. So there's a uh, a new um a new do-it-yourself uh what's called a a transcranial direct current simula- stimulation kit. You know? Do you know what transcranial direct is? This current the stuff that I was. I, I think I mentioned like a sh- last show, maybe a show ago about um making yourself smarter yeah but what what did it what it what was it the exact same one where you hold up a nine nine volt battery to your scalp no no go go and tell <laughs> okay so yeah so so the idea is that this is underdog kit and you can hook up a nine volt battery to your scalp with electrodes and like a wet sponge and conducting gel i mean that right there sounds kind of scary yeah <laughs> but but it actually only delivers two milliamps which is one five hundredth of the current of a hundred watt light bulb right it's, it's really, you know, obviously not dangerous. Um, so DARPA has done some experiments with pilots and snipers, of all people. And really, what they found is that more than doubles your brain's learning rate, working memory, and it boosts your peak performance. Yeah. Now, that is pretty impressive. Doubles. It's not like it improves at 10%. Doubles. That's what I was thinking, yeah. And that the effect lasts three months or more. Wow. And... Uh, and so I guess the University of uh, New Mexico, they did some stuff and there's like University of Gothenburg or something. They've done some work on that. But I mean, this, this idea, stuff like this has been tried like hundreds of, you know, it's been something like every hundred years it becomes something that people try. And oftentimes they've used way too much electricity and, and uh, can really hurt people and stuff. But it, you know, the, 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 the stuff that they're doing now with this, you know, two milliamps actually seems to work. And it says, of course, they have no idea if the long-term effects work. So you could be, you could like be really smart in the short term and then just totally burn yourself out. Kind of like uh, limitless. The movie. <laughs> so would you do, would you do this? Would you use this? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, look, I, um, I think I'm smart enough to do the things that I need to do. <laughs> so I don't know if being, if my learning, increasing my learning rate would help anything that I'm doing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is the idea of being smarter is always kind of uh, tempting. You know, it's just, this is why I guess why I love the movie, why I love Limitless. I thought that was such a cool thing. This idea of having like this just super powerful brain where you could outthink and outpredict everyone. Yeah. I mean, that was really cool. And then at the end, well, I don't want to give away the end, but in case anyone hasn't seen it, I, 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 I that was really cool. So it reminds me of that. And I would, I think this is interesting, I guess, you know, probably for the same reasons, but um, would I try it? I don't know, man. It might scare me a little bit. If there might be some kind of long-term effect. But here's what he said: He says it, 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 it effects that this this sort of 
you know, of doing this has is it, ha- it makes a, the neurons are made more sensitive so they can fire faster. Mm. And the neurons are left in a, what they call like a wet clay state. And so that they're more capable of making new connections, which is what learning is. And, uh, yeah, another thing he says about the, the, they said about it was that medical companies don't have an, don't have enough potential upside from therapies that, you know, you can make from a hundred, a thousand, from a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars of off the shelf equipment. So, you know, there, there, there may not be a lot, of whole mon- a lot of money going to that research, you know, anyway. That would be crazy to, to put that on people who are already ridiculously smart and see what happened. Double their learning Double rate? Double someone who's got 190 IQ. See, what, see where that goes. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, they, they were talking about like, well, is it fair? You know, is it like fair? Because it it's kind of like doing steroids. You yeah. know, it gives an unfair advantage to certain people. What if kids start doing this before they take like an SAT or something like that? But that's a learning rate and working. I wonder how much that affects like your IQ measurement. Like I'd like to see it not just in learning rate, but you know, having you take IQ tests. Yeah. Like if your IQ is normally 125, would it give you 150 IQ, 180 IQ? Yeah. You know, would that be possible? Because I don't know if the learning rate, I mean, the working memory is, is very closely related to IQ, specifically what they call G, which is like, I guess they, it's considered like the core of, I, of your IQ. Yeah. But um, I don't know, man. That'd be interesting. I, I, I'd like to see that. Because what they're testing on things like, you know, like I said, pilots learning to fly or snipers playing these like training video games, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So did you, uh, did you read anything about the Lulsec being all those guys going to jail? No. You know what Lulsec is? No, tell us about that. So Lulsec is, um, there's sort of this uh, subgroup within Anonymous. And oh, yeah, yeah. The one, yeah, the one guy, yeah. And I guess a guy named uh, Sabu, a.k.a. Hector uh, Xavier Monsegur. <laughs> He's an unemployed 20-year-old New Yorker, is the way they describe yeah. it. And so he masterminded the attacks on the, on, CIA, on the CIA, FBI, Sony, that kind of stuff. And so what happened is he ended up pleading guilty to like uh, 10 or I can't remember more than 10 charges, you know, related to just hacking. And, and so as a result of that, he basically went, he, he started working out of the FBI headquarters with an FBI guy just sitting there like watching him the whole time mm-hmm. and trying to entrap all the other LulzSec members. Why? That's that's so. I mean, d- d- is he really doing it? He already did it. He already did it. So he spent. I, I, I think. I think it was a few months doing that, where he's just working. He's just going to the the FBI office and just sitting there using an FBI computer with an FBI agent just sitting there with his arms crossed, watching the guy. And the guy's just working to entrap and get information out of the other Lulzsec Lulzsec members, and uh, to the point where um, the FBI could go in and find all these people and. Uh, Take him to jail. And I guess he has kids. And so they just, you know, that was a big consideration for him not going to jail. Or at least that's his claim. Like, well, I have kids, can't go to jail. So I'm going to turn all the rest of you guys crazy. in. crazy. I mean, he's going to get, I don't know, he's going to get killed, <laughs> I guess. You think he'll be killed in prison for that? Well, I mean, Vienna, for snitching Vienna. now. But like for that kind of snitching. Well, he's, I, I guess he's probably not going to go to prison. I think that probably the deal is he's not going to go to prison. Yeah, but I guess he's going to have to be relocated uh, like on a witness program because... Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's not like the it's, it's not like Anonymous is the, is the mafia, right? Anonymous might you know like get your credit cards and put them out on the web, but they're not going to like uh, you know show up and cut your head off or something. Oh, you know, he's going to get some right? kind of repayment. <laughs> well, so what was really interesting um, 
about uh, so I was kind of following along with some of his stories around Ars Technica. I think was the main. Was this the one where of- there was like a new a new programming language found? No, that's a whole different story. That's the uh, the I think what's it called Ducor or something Ducor. Um, where is I? I wrote that down. I can't find it right now. But um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Dooku Trojan uses new programming language, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, anyway, one of the things that the Stuxnet turned down, I think they actually morphed in, or was like a subgroup of them called AntiSec or something. Like LolSec disbanded because some people got taken to jail, but then AntiSec was, I guess, another group, or whatever. But they um, they went after a um, this company which is called Stratfor, and Stratfor is kind of like this. Uh, a global intelligence company. It's kind of like a private CIA. Yeah. Have you heard of them? I, sure I, haven't. I haven't. No. So I'm going to tell you. Go on then. <laughs> okay. So Stratford is like this private CIA. They have like 130 people. They have, um, I think like, what do they say? Like uh, 300,000, uh, I'm trying to write it, write it down. So like 300,000 uh, accounts, people of different companies that have different kinds of accounts with them. They do work for, oh, let's see, something they had, they did work for, um, uh, Gold, Coke, Goldman, Northrop Grumman, Lucent, ADM, the, and the Marines. The Marines used them. Mm-hmm. One, one guy, the lieutenant, he says, this is from this lieutenant colonel, Bill Gresham, he's the top officer at the, at the Marine Corps. Um, it's like the security division headquarters. And he says, I get so much, strat, I get so much from Stratford that admittedly, I quickly review um, the daily summaries and focus on the terrorist al- an- analysis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and the, and, and the Marines have their own intelligence arm, right? So, Stratfor is, a, is kind of a, a big deal. And so, apparently, one of these other guys, one of these hackers, they, they, they hacked in using SQL injections on a web control panel. Hmm. And they also, I think it was the same one they broke into Media Temple. Hmm. I think it was the same one. So, basic SQL. It's always SQL injections, man. That's crazy. That is like, that is like the worst... I mean, it's like, that is like, it's like, why are, why is software, I mean, who is writing software professionally that's, that's not, you know, protecting against that? So, so what, they, they get through a SQL injection and then that somehow gives them root access to the server? Yeah, basically root it that way. Yeah. How, how, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about hacking. I'd love to know how to, a SQL, like, what, what do you do to, to get root access via SQL? I mean, I guess it's like a, probably a chain of things, like that will give you a little bit more access via something else. Maybe make some file writable or something, or I, I just can't even yeah, imagine. A bunch of, you go on Amazon. There's a bunch of books, uh, uh, you know, about this. I mean, it's not just to do it, but to understand how it's done so you can protect against it. Like all these clever, yeah, for hacks that can be done. Um, so they went in there, and I guess the uh, the credit card numbers were stored in plain text. Oh, in my please, <laughs> why? <laughs> so they got they got like they posted thirty thousand credit card numbers. On a, you know, I guess I know paste bin or somewhere in websites, and they made uh, just a ton of donations to like the Red Cross and a bunch of different charities. Oh my god! Uh, and he said, of the fifty thousand accounts they cracked, um, and these were actually their passwords were actually hashed, but they were able to crack uh, forty forty five hundred of them. So a little less than ten percent of them were were cracked, probably using rainbow tables, yeah. I guess. So 
what was really interesting, so I was like, well, who is this, you know, this strat for, you know, you know, I was like, what's, what's their story, you know, and, you know, like I said, it's like a 300,000 strong client list and they, and they do this sort of analysis and spying in some cases for all of these big companies and they watch global hotspots and they cover competitors for companies and they monitor, you know, the pesky activists and, uh, you know, they just <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? And um, like, for instance, they one thing they said is they they keep tabs on the Yes Men on behalf of Dow Chemical and Union Carbide. Yeah, you know the Yes Men? No. You ever seen? Oh, you've never seen? Type in the Yes Men. They have a couple really funny. I saw oh, one. Oh yeah, doc- yeah, 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 yeah. The Yes Men. Yeah, I do know who they are. They, they and then they just make a lot of fun of of, of these guys. Yeah, I, I know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, obviously, you know, companies like Union Carbide and stuff are are not really happy with them, so they try and keep tabs on them. So, um, so what's interesting is, is, is they got like, I don't, I can't remember how many gigabytes it was. It was like five gigabytes of information off. The, I mean, they rooted all their servers. They deleted their servers. They got all the information off. They got all the credit cards. They got everything. They, they deleted the servers? Destroyed everything. They, destroy, they basically destroyed all their servers. They got everything. I mean, this is a company of 130 people, right? This is like, this, it's not just like a website, right? I mean, wow. these are analysts and handlers. I mean, this is like a, like a private CIA, right? But to have all of their emails and all their documentation, all their client list stuff destroyed really hurts them badly. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is, so they, they post all stuff online. So now a lot of, of, um, of uh, news outlets are going through the documentation because it, it was released, because it, a lot of it was sent to WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks has been releasing them. So it's, it's more, yeah, so this is like a whole new WikiLeaks thing, right? Okay. That's right. That's right. So there's a couple of things interesting. One was that um, the, the title was Stratfor Emails Released to WikiLeaks Covert Special Ops Inside Syria Since December. And one thing is, he goes, here he goes, an analyst from Stratfor claimed in December 2011 that officials at the Pentagon clued him in on covert military operations taking place in Syria. After a couple hours of talking, they said that special operations forces teams, presumably from U.S., U.K., France, Jordan, Turkey, are already on the ground focused on reconnaissance missions and training opposition forces. Hmm. And which is interesting because a report came out of Lebanon, like, I don't know, like last week or something, that claimed that 13 French soldiers were captured in the uh, Syrian city of Ham. Wait a second, wait a second. We, are, we, are we going into the dark and depressing segment of the show? There's a little bit of darkness here, just a little bit more. I got a little All bit right. more for you, but Go on. No pay off. this is gonna pay off, though. I got okay. What, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> okay. The, uh, you feel like the lights are dimming? No, it's good. It's good. It's good. The, the lights are dimming only a little bit. So the, the French, of course, have have, disc, uh, have claimed that this isn't true, that there aren't any French soldiers in there. But you know, soldier spies. I mean, are they soldiers? I mean, they could be technically not soldiers, but whatever. So I, I think there's, there's, there's definitely a concerted effort to sort of topple the Syrian regime. It's not like we're just on the outside saying, saying things. We're actually doing stuff. And uh, he said, um, officials of the Pentagon told the Stratfor analyst that the idea, hypothetically, is to commit guerrilla attacks, assassination, assassination campaigns, try to break the back of the Alawite forces and elicit collapse from within. So that's what's going on in Syria. But that's not the most interesting one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here's the one. WikiLeaks, this is on uh, anti, another one, antiwar.com. He goes, WikiLeaks email, Bin Laden's corpse not. And he goes, uh, they, so basically the, you know, the Obama administration, Pentagon, claimed that Bin Laden was put in a bag and hurled into the sea, mm-hmm. right? Remember that? Yeah. Didn't that ever strike you as a little fishy? I, I mean, I, no, I said it at the that, time. I said it at the time. Yeah, this just, sounds, just like, sounds like complete crap. Calling bullshit. Okay, well, the, the Stratfor Vice President, Fred Burton, 
this is in an email. Uh, he says, did not believe that was the case and told members of the company's mailing list that Bin Laden's corpse was headed for Dover Air Force Base on a CIA plane and on to the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology in Bethesda, which is the site to which U.S. soldiers um, who are killed are, are taken. Why would they do that? Why would they take it back yeah. there? Well, I mean, I, I think that's, that's probably the more likely case of where they would take it. I mean, you have this kill, you know, dead body of, you're going to probably take him for analysis, make sure he is who they think he is, and I don't know, whatever. But they probably didn't want to say, they probably didn't want to say that because they felt like, well, the U.S. has his body, and that's a big problem, and that might invite more terrorist attacks or whatever. So that's probably why they lied about it. I mean, assuming, the question is, do you think, do you think the vice president of Stratfor is, is, uh, is his sources within the Pentagon are right? And then that it was on a CIA plane to, to Dover or not? Uh, I don't no know. Idea. Or do you believe the headlines at CNN? The question is, which do you think are, are more believable? I would probably lean towards what the Stratfor president is saying to the, his top analyst inside. <laughs> I mean, this is what people deal with, yeah. right? I mean, I would think that's probably more likely. Plus, throwing a body over in the ocean just sounds kind of like... I mean, because they, they act like, well, the SEALs just did it on their own. Like, you're like, like a bunch of soldiers just make that decision unilaterally. Mm-hmm. That's, what they, that's the kind of decisions they make? No, that's not the kind of decisions that the SEALs, the SEAL team would be making. But it is the kind of uh, f- uh, fall that they could take. It's like fall on your sword kind of fall. Yeah, well, just, yeah, well, because, they, because no, I mean, no one they were blamed for it. It was just like, oh, they just did it. And it was like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's too late. You oh, know? yeah, it's yeah, like, no, that's ridiculous. They think about it, you know, it's like, yeah, like, like they weren't brief from the top down. Like if you kill him, you know, oh, no, no, it's completely, completely ridiculous. It's retarded. So I thought that was really interesting. So I was, I was on WikiLeaks. I read a couple of articles about Stratford. Like, I guess there's a big, big, um, I went on Wikipedia first and they had some, um, they were linking some articles on Mother Jones and some other ones about like, the, you know, the secret CIA and whatever. So, um, and I guess they have sort of a, they think they're pretty damn awesome. I mean, they think the CIA is oftentimes looking from like, how does Stratfor know all this stuff? You know, why are they ahead of us in a lot of this stuff? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. So I, I've got a couple small things. All right, go on then. We've got um, 10 minutes till the two hour mark. So, so, <laughs> okay. so bring in just a couple of small things. Yeah. Kids born later in the year are more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. Well, that's just weird. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes sense. So, you remember I had mentioned a while back that we were, you know, we were cons- we were wondering if Colby, um, our seven-year-old, might have ADHD because he was not paying attention in class and being a little disruptive or whatever. And luckily, we got through that um, really quickly. Sandy had the brilliant idea. She said she just basically told Colby, "Look, I will pay you a dollar every day you come home and you're on green because they usually at the end of the day they're either on green, yellow, red, depending on how good they were at paying attention." And- yeah, well, this no is the whole Colby. Colby's a very bribable kid piece. Yeah. <laughs> Colby, Colby the capitalist. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so we, we got to skip the whole ADHD uh, fiasco with just a few bucks. Great. So, uh, right, just paid him a dollar, and he was good. And then after like about a month of that, I think, so what happened is that his teacher would send home every day a card and on each day of the week would have like a, like a check mark or a rating from one to five on like these five different categories. And if he, as Sandy said, if he was all, I guess it actually wasn't green. If he was on all fours and fives and these, and these five different categories, he would be on green. And, um, after a month, the, the teacher just stopped sending him home. Cause she's like, he's, he's good. We don't have problems. So does anymore. he still earn his uh, dollar every day? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't never do your job too well. Otherwise, I guess it's Does he paid. notice? Does he notice that he's not getting a dollar? Yeah, I just did notice. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of yeah. I don't know. But he's still I mean, doing well. That's good. That's good. No, he's doing fine. He, he just he just fine. He. I mean, it's like it's like you keep ratcheting up. Okay, now now he has like some chores or stuff he has to do if he's gonna make a dollar. He's got to put away his clothes and his stuff or whatever. So I don't know, but it was just interesting because Colby is born in September. He has a later birthday and he's in first grade even. So he's kind of on the very young side. I think he's about the youngest kid in his class. Right. Which I was never crazy about that idea. I mean, Sandy and I were kind of went back and forth on it. I was more like of the opinion that let's just let's stack the deck in his favor and let him be on the older side as opposed to being the youngest. And Sandy was worried about him being bored and stuff like that. And I'm just, I don't know, I really wasn't buying it. I mean, he's a smart kid, but it's not like, you know, he's, he's going to be, he's a super genius. He's going to be doing calculus in third grade or something, you know? Right. So, but we put him in there and this is the kind of stuff you run into, right? Because basically what they're saying is kids that are young instead of just saying, oh, these kids are young and that's why they're having a hard time paying attention sitting still, it's like, oh, they have like a, they have like a disease. Right, but he you doesn't, know? so... No, So I is that all, is the whole thing that you were reading true? I mean, do... Yeah, no, it's, it's just, a, just a study. It was done by the uh, University of Brit- British Columbia. It just basically just said that, you know, when they ran the numbers, it said, uh, it said let's see, girls... Oh, here we go. It was... Um, um, here, let's see, it was the study of almost one million... British Columbian school children ages 6 to 12 during an 11-year period found those born in December were 39% more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD and 49%, 48% more likely to be medicated than those born in January. Hmm. Right? Good. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, it makes sense. It just, just makes sense. So I thought that was an interesting thing. All right. What's, what's your <laughs> next one? <laughs> A funny little thing. Um, I thought this is just sort of more cute than anything. So, you know, my, my girls who are, uh, Izzy is five and a half and Aries four are always, uh, they're always playing make believe. Right. Yeah. And, and so I walk out the other day and, and, and Sandy says, like, listen to this. So it's, Aries is upstairs playing with her little, or Barbie, like a little Barbie doll on a bicycle. And all of a sudden you hear her going, just kind of a little chatting back and forth and back and forth. And then you say this, then she's like, see you later, Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> this big Optimus Prime robot that Colby has. <laughs> you can see this little Barbie. Bye bye, Optimus Prime. <laughs> that's oh, hilarious. <laughs> that's what it's like having kids. That's 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 those kind of payoff. That is just hilarious. Just kind of random random humor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, I don't know. I guess I have some other stuff, but I think we can call it. Yeah, and I, what, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start um, plugging in my professional microphone for our weekly chats because I've noticed there's been some stuff that we've spoken about that we could just cut straight into a show, to be honest. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll just start recording everything that we talk about during the weeks um, sure. just so we don't miss stuff out. And maybe we could do a show in parts over the week as well as maybe doing them on the yeah. weekend. So, Oh, you know, I have two small ones. You want to throw in two more? Go two on, then. Go on. All right, right. So... <laughs> When I was up in uh, San Francisco, was it a week ago or whatever? And I was at, we were at lunch. I was actually walking. I, I sort of organized a lunch with a couple of the guys from Kaggle with the math, math department guys yeah. at Oop. And we were walking over to the Kaggle office. We we're going to get a little tour of their office. And I, we see this truck come by with a kind of like a, the, it's like a, 
the whole back of it was like in a big box, like a glassed in box. And there were like these strippers in there. What the? Like strippers. It was Larry, uh, was it Larry Flint, the guy uh, who does uh, Penthouse? Yeah. The penthouse? So it was a Larry, it was a penthouse truck. Right. And they're driving around San Francisco with these, um, these strippers, like pole dancing. I, I mean, couldn't believe that that was even sort of. But surely that, but how you shouldn't have been able to see in. I mean, how could you see in? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was all glass. It was it was meant for that. But that you look. Were like, they holy. were they naked? No, they had on like you know really really. Okay, so so they were just promoting like, the magazine, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but I had an idea. I was like, you almost. I was almost expecting there to be like a like button on there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, if that thing had a like button on, it would be like, bing, 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 like, 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 you just see like, and then of course, if you, if you differentiate it between men and women who are liking or disliking, you'd have like, it was like this war of like, dislike. God, you had me worried when you, when you said, when you said I had an idea, I thought you were about to say, so, uh, and to promote any food, you and I, we're going to like strip off and drive around in a van around San Francisco and pull Yeah, off. I'll drive, I'll drive you. If you want to strip in the back, I'll drive you around. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll drive I'll, I'll drive you around oh god <laughs> i think that'd work so um the uh i had ideas like you know what you could do is like imagine if like you had the system we had like virtual like buttons like you could put like a like a like a, it's almost like a um what you would say like a, a barcode like a like a sticker on things to be like a like sticker and you have like on your key fob you could have like a little laser thing that would just you pointed at it from distance and you would click on it. It'd be like an equivalent of a like and your, your key fob would send it to like a, uh, a server somewhere that you liked this physical object. That's like the QR codes, but QR codes, but for likes. Yeah. You can have likes in real life. Awesome. Right. So I'm going to patent that idea. <laughs> well, that's like, that's like an idea that I had, um, for Nanoflirt, uh, this website that I built, which is like a real, a real life <coughs> yeah. website. And basically it's the same thing, but about people. So people would would kind of wear clothes, so that that you could buy like a nano a nano flirt badge, and that would have your number on, and so then someone else could see that number, and then they could go and use that number and key it in and look at your profile, and so you could get in touch with people virtually that you saw in the real world. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely variations on that. Um, there there are some ones with um, it's not iPhone things coming out like where people can you know, virtual, like they see in the real world and it's like, do you like that person? You know, it's got the equivalent of like reading junior high. It's like, I like you. Do you like me? Click check. Yes or no. (laughs) Google goggles. Oh, where you like would see someone and it would bring up all their information. Yeah. Like, like augmented reality goggles, basically that, uh, that are doing the rounds that are, that are real now, I think. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I've definitely, I saw a commercial for those. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was the commercial. I showed this. It, it's like you could wear the barbecue, and it showed the the females like name Lisa, whatever. <laughs> services not needed. <laughs> it's like I forgot. To, I, I didn't see the part where it said real estate. You know, person said just services not needed. <laughs> um, that doesn't seem appropriate. Yeah. For <laughs> but do you think that that's gonna that's gonna really take off? I mean, do you think that people are gonna be walking around with cyborg goggles and looking at augmented reality through them? That's a that's a negative Ghost Rider. No, I don't think that's gonna happen. No, that seems that seems ridiculous. People aren't gonna wear things around like that. No, all right, absolutely not. So, um, yeah, but I think my I think. But what do you think of my sticker idea? My like stickers. I think stickers. it's great. Yeah, I think it's great. Just 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 
them out and you have you, you could you could almost custom order stickers i think there's companies where you can custom order stickers but it sounds like it cre- facebook should do it yeah yeah but you you have like a a, a um a uh you know unique barcode for every sticker that you print out or get sent to you where right? it's just like kind of, kind of like a good right and and whenever you do like a key fob kind of thing in fact those kind of key fob things might end up getting you know you might end up having stuff like that built into your uh, iphone kind of like for like a remote control why, for tvs why bother with a key fob you can just do you can just use use the QR code concept and just do it with a phone. So in fact, to be honest, you, yeah. you could do it with QR codes. That's, you could literally do it with QR codes that already exist and just basically change the app to um, do a ping to the Facebook server and do a like of the URL that's in the QR code. So you could do it right now. Yeah. Your idea is awesome. You want, to be able to do it from a, you want to be able to do it from kind of a distance though. It'd be nice. Uh, yeah, you can do that with QR codes. I think so. And? Yeah, they have them on big. They have them on big billboards. QR codes. Yeah, you take a picture of the billboard, and then it it pulls up all the, the information. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, where the hell have I been? <laughs> you just. You <laughs> <laughs> I need to get out more. I'm spending too much time sitting. That's in the, right. Uh, all right, Go. You have oh. one more, and then we'll and then we'll close it. Yeah. So you want to update on the um on the screenplay thing? I, I do. I do. If, yeah. I do. But don't, don't say anything that um that you don't want out there. So um, I I saw Tyler at the gym, but he kind of was avoiding me. Oh, it was kind of weird. I was on the I was on the elliptical, and he kind of wasn't making eye contact. And I'm like, that's not a good sign. Right. <laughs> so I don't know, but uh, maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just uh, yeah. I was, talk- I was talking to my a buddy of mine about that, who's a writer, and he's like, yeah, just you know, you want to write the thing yourself anyway, so just. You know, give you you know, give an excuse to go write it. Right, yeah, well, once any food's done, then you can write this. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna do it now. I, get, <laughs> I barely have time to read a book, which is write a screenplay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's no, no update yet, no real official update. I guess we'll, uh, you know, we'll see in the next couple of weeks if I if I see him what the story is, if he actually sold it for how much and whatever. But uh, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I, had, I had a couple. I had some ideas for some other. Uh, some other stories. Um, what was the one I was thinking about yesterday? I don't know. I'll leave it for you, next you week. You just think too much. You think too much. Your brain doesn't stop working ever, does it? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't work very well, but it just never stops. <laughs> <laughs> God, imagine. I mean, think about it, right? Like we, we as listeners of, of Jason, like we have to deal with this kind of stream of consciousness. But imagine you having to deal with your own brain. Like it must be a nightmare. It never stops. I mean, I could just imagine it. If this is this is the edited version of you, right? That's right. The, the real world that's is the thing. edited version, but internally, it must just be. Yeah, pretty much. Well, that's what happens when you like read, you know, all this stuff constantly. I, I, I probably guess I read too much, and then it just, you know, when you read, it just generates ideas. Yeah, I gotta stop reading. Well, if you notice, uh, it's like. It's that's that's the problem. It's like even when you're really working on a project, where you don't read anything else, that you become boring. Like you're so focused on something that you go and you're done. You're talking to your wife, and she, you really you're like, I really got nothing to say. Yeah, I got nothing. I'm really all I can think about is what I'm working on, and it just goes boring. And I've met people. I know people like that who are just so focused in on their projects that they really can't talk about anything else. And then if you so if you do talk about their project for an hour or whatever, and then when you're done, they just got they're just kind of look at you with like a blank look on their face (laughs) but would you say that those people are often more successful because they're so focused on that one thing well probably you know i remember 
reading um, this one uh, column, um, and this guy was talking about there's two there's two two types of people that he would meet at these sort of like big conferences, like these big sort of like um, high what the kind of what's the one where um, um, I'm blanking on the name where all the big and CEOs and stuff go to Davos, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, there's two types of people we run into. He's one he called grinds and the other, part, the other kind princes. And he's like, the grinds are the people that we describe. They're totally focused on one thing. They're working on the other ones are really pushing the world forward because that's all they're pushing. But they're not really that interesting to talk to because they're just so single-minded. Um, and then there's the other people we call like the princes. And the princes are people who tend to be, have, have become in positions of power, wealth, mostly through connections and family and stuff. They're not the kind of people who really you know, work their way up by building something. And those people usually, he would say, he said, we're usually tend to be interesting because they spend a lot of the time just reading and talking to people. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were aware of and familiar with all the latest, most interesting stories and things going on. And they've read a lot of most interesting books. And so they were fun to talk to. Um, but at the same time, they really weren't doing anything themselves, anything interesting that was really So are you a prince or a grind? I, I guess I probably try to be a little both. You're a grinding prince. <laughs> well, the show, the, the, the show actually, just the fact that we have a show makes me read more. Right. Makes makes me, you know, because if I mean I, I read a lot on, on my own anyway, but it it there's sometimes it gets to like a Wednesday or Thursday night, and I'm like, you know, I haven't read that much in the last couple of days. I better get on get on my horse and read some stuff. So we have some, some something to talk about. You know, yeah. What about you? Do you do you do you find yourself trying to find interesting things? I just don't, I just I don't do as much um, work as you on that front. <laughs> I just I just talk about whatever we're talking about, which is probably bad, and that's probably unfair on you. No, so you, you, I think it's fine actually. You but you burden the uh, the you ta- you carry the burden of uh, coming up with most of the off-topic stuff that we talk about. Well, you know, actually, I think it's fine because. Um, you know, it's like, I think some of these interesting, these topics and news stories are interesting, but you can't have it just to be about that kind of stuff. And of course you spend a lot more time than I do doing on the, on the editing. Right. And the post-production. So fair enough. I spend more time pre-production. I have, you know, when it comes to writing guests and coordinating with them or has to do with coming with topics and stuff. So I put a little more work on that. I mean, of course I'd write up the descriptions, but that's not as much work as um, doing the editing. So, you know, hmm. well, there you go. So, so how much do you, but just take care, how much do you read and what do you, I don't know, I just <laughs> how much do I like, read? Um, no, no, no. I mean, like, are, do you read, do you, do you tend to read stuff at night so much or do you not read, or do you read books? You know what, you, I'm more, I'm more into shows and like, I don't know, science fiction shows or whatever. So if I have downtime, I'd rather take that downtime to just be entertained. Um, that's, yeah. that's what I do. Um, and then during the day, I guess I do reading. I certainly read through the stuff that I post on Twitter because I wouldn't dare to have anything that <laughs> auto-posted stuff on Twitter. T- I'm going to, I'm going to like pop quiz you on that. I'm going <laughs> to out articles that I'm like, I still don't think he read that. <laughs> That's like, I do I'm read it. I do read it. I do. I do. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do a pop quiz next weekend. Um, next. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll pay special attention to everything. Maybe I post not next show because it won't be a pop quiz. Yeah. That's like giving a hint. Hey students, tomorrow there might be a pop quiz. <laughs> All right. Catch me in a month. Hmm. Anyway, the answer is, I don't think I read as much as you. And um, also, you're, you're better at retaining facts and remembering names and all that sort of thing. Yeah, if I, if I started shocking my brain, I might remember it a little better. Maybe I should start shocking. I still, I, still, I still want to build this sort of 
spaced memor- memorization web app where I can enter in. What I want to do is when I'm reading something, I want to select the text and it'd be like a, a Chrome extension. We just collect, you'd like select some text and like double click or something. And it like immediately sends it as like a fact or a something and it keys it to the URL. And then, um, once a day, you get like an, a morning email. Maybe you get twi- two emails a day, one in the morning, one late in the day. It emails you 10 or 20 of these uh, you know, pieces of information that you selected. And uh, it just sort of keeps it coming out your brain. Because there's stuff that I read like three weeks ago or three months ago that was brought back into my conscience. It would really cement that information. What do you think? I think that's a good idea. And I think, would we, you use it? I, think I would use it. Yeah, make it. But not, not <laughs> until we've finished any food and... Uh, but I'm making some money. <laughs> you get very nervous whenever I start talking about. <laughs> I do your because you because you do get sidetracked so easily. But that's 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 another another. I haven't actually in a while. How have I? Well, although you let's let's just say the- let's just say writing an article for your friend on Hacker News is a sidetrack, and you're always doing things like that. But that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. That's what makes you you, and that's why we love you. Oh, well, I had to help a fr- I had to, had to help a help a brother out, help a hacker help out. A hacker out. Okay, fair enough. But you know, I guess you could say. I guess you could say you're worried that, that you you're worried that I'm gonna do to you what I did to Guyon, which is a take on another big project. I guess, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, but I guess I should give an Epic Night update. Yeah, go on then. We're still working on it. Okay. <laughs> That's the update we've been working on last week. Made some good progress. All right. That's the update. It's still, it's still moving. It's a train in motion. Okay. But uh, nothing more than that, I guess. All right, I guess we should uh, this, put a quote on this thing. This has been a good show. This, I'm sure there's going to be two hours of recorded material here, maybe slightly less. So, <clears throat> so hopefully we've made up for our lack of um, other discussion shows in the length of this. Yeah, hopefully A and B listeners will be happy. Yeah, Because otherwise we only have like a C listener join in, then we're really screwed. And we promise to be back on next weekend. Yeah, we're on. All right, well, we'll have some more. Um, any foo is off to the races this week. We should have our first session through, and uh, we have a couple other that look like they may go through you know, in the next week or two. And I don't know. Oh, and don't forget to review us on, on um, iTunes. And you can find out how to review us by going to textinglive.com to um, click on iTunes competition so that you can see how well we're doing against uh, startups the rest of us. Right now they're beating us. So we need you to review us and give us a fantastic review. And we want to get over 100 reviews. Well, hold on, hold on a second. iTunes competition? Okay, so so if you look at our pictures and it's on the right-hand side in the sidebar yeah. at, at exinglive.com? Yeah, down there. iTunes competition. What? We have 80. They have 116. I know. It sucks. It, like, it's, it's really Wait, sucks. who did it? Sean Murphy wrote this, right? Yes, it, uh, Sean Murphy wrote a script. Sean Murphy? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Sean, for doing that. But you need to direct... We need like a... We need like a... Someone like a... Like a, a review writing bot. We gotta cheat this. <laughs> no, I think that would be cheating. <laughs> we need... Uh, anti-sec or what it is things to hack the system no but we need we need we need some real reviews so they're 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 ahead of us by 26 votes 36 votes damn that's embarrassing well hang on and they're talking they're talking a lot of they're talking a lot of smack about it every time i listen to their show they talk about the competition and how they're beating us yeah exactly so come on tech zing they're playing for keeps and we're just screwing around (laughs) which is pretty much how our shows are right yeah this year's all business, and we're—I uh, don't know—we're not really. So, uh, actually, yeah. well, anyway, help us out. Give us a review. Hey, I'm just—I'm just running those stats right now, just to see um, to see what the state is. Because the last time I updated that on the site was February the 21st, so we're now March 11th. So it must have changed a little bit. So just give me a second. I'll run it, and I'll cut. Uh, <laughs> 83. 
<laughs> Three. Come on. Oh my god. That's hilarious. Okay, let's what do they have? let's see what they have. So since 127. They picked up 11 and we picked up three. Well, that's probably because we skipped the show. That probably killed our momentum. If we had if we had been pleading for help in the last show, maybe that wouldn't help. Okay, look, if you we need a review tsunami. If you are listening to this, you need to go to textinglive.com and click on how to review us or click on the iTunes competition. Like this is just, it's just embarrassing. Well, see, here's what happened. We're going to go to Microconf and Rob is not going to shut up about it. Yeah. He's probably going to announce this. He's just going to, he's just going to, he's, he's going to rub it in our faces for two days straight. And I don't want that to happen. Oh my God. And, uh, so we need some help. All right. All right. Well, let's, let's call this show. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm taking the kids to, uh, I'm going to go get some ice cream and go to the park with the kids. So. All right. Well, you have, have enjoy your ice cream. All right. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. 